So you're not hearing our usual intro music because a little peel behind the onion here. We recorded a podcast today, uh, Wednesday afternoon, and within an hour probably of finishing recording said podcast, we found out that Nick Saban and Alabama Athletic Director Greg Byrne tested positive for COVID. So we recorded an entire episode um, with the context that Alabama and Georgia would be happening as you know under relatively normal circumstances. And right. so as you listen to the rest of this podcast, which is like as you were looking at the time, it was like a two hour podcast. Keep that is it really? Yeah, it was close to that. Thanks. It was close to that. But keep that in mind. But we wanted to just be able to to address the big issue of of what we found out about um, today, and that is the first SEC head coach who has tested positive for COVID. Marler, your initial reaction to this was what? I mean, devastated from a standpoint of, like, Coach Saban's obviously, like, meant a lot to the game of college football, the SEC, to the University of Alabama, for sure. More than anything, I, it, I was um, – I reached out to Kristen because I was just concerned because I've had to go through that with my parent. And Nick Saban's daughter. And, yeah. And so um, I was – my first reaction was, like, to check in on her because I know when I found out my mom had it, I was a mess, just an absolute mess. And, and you know, there's a lot of unknowns. There, I think there were more unknowns at the time and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, you just – I think as a, as a parent or a child, you have a tendency just to worry about, you know, like, like the uh, – the other so that was my initial reaction i hate it uh for this game because it's like this this should be the biggest game of the year it hands down should yeah. be like and, and 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 represent everything that's great about sec football about college football about these two teams and i hate that it, it's kind of getting it doesn't feel like a game week like like when bama usually has big games like this like lsu last year just you know some of the other ones like some of the other big ones you've seen throughout the years it feels like it's an all week thing and, and you're just, everyone's getting geared up for it. It just doesn't feel that way. And and now with all the COVID news and, and I'm not saying that stuff's not more important because it is. I just hate that this is what's happening to it. It, it kind of takes away from the, you know, like it, it, it takes away from the game and, and those players as well. It just kind of sucks. Just the whole thing kind of sucks. It does. And that's, that was the, the, the thing that, that crossed my mind at first was it, it sucks for, for everybody. And obviously yeah. for somebody who's about to be 69 years old, that's dealing with mm-hmm. a, a virus that thankfully we know more information about now than we did seven months ago. But at the same time, it, it hit a little bit differently because Saban is the first SEC head coach to get this. And we have seen FBS head coaches like Les Miles get it, Blake Anderson at Arkansas state. But it just sort of hits a little bit differently when yeah. the first one is Saban. And, um, you know, I think that obviously the game and what's what we're, we were talking about on this podcast and what you're going to hear on this podcast, that, yeah. was, that was our That's primary focus. Like, talk about. That was our primary focus, no doubt about it. Um, Saban, as of right now, is looking for a way to be able to communicate to his team during the game. The good news, as Kristen relayed on Twitter, was that... There are no symptoms that he has as yeah. of right now. He zoomed in on the practice today. He isolated as soon as possible. Alabama doesn't have any other known positives within those big. players, which is that that's great. If you're ta- if we're trying to talk about preventing outbreaks and the spread, that's obviously a, a key factor. So so good news there. But it, it does. You're right. I mean, it changes 
how we're going to look at this game, no matter how it ends up. And as of yeah. right now, you know, Steve Sarkeesian hasn't necessarily been named interim head coach or anything like that. But, but he's, he's he will handling be, everything. Yes, he's overseeing those yeah. those duties. Somebody with Power Five head coaching experience. I, so, I will say one. Let's talk about what what else is going to be said on the rest of this podcast <laughs> because I started the like we started the episode talking about the COVID cases and, and, and I was kind of giving Connor a hard time about like how, Hey man, like let's not talk about the negative stuff. Like let's, let's get into like the game of the year and like, and like talk about this. So I flat out said, I was like, I don't give a blank about COVID. And then of course this all happens. It's just like, there's gonna be a lot of stuff that's said in this podcast. Um, you know, a lot of predictions <laughs> that were also made. And, yes. And, Everything and, before we found out about safe yeah. testing positive. Yeah. I'll stand by it still. Um, but it's fine. I, and I tell you what, I, I hate to say this because I think like the, the most positive news to come out of this is the fact that that there aren't there's not an outbreak from like the players at, at Bama, which I think is as of now, and I think that's that's obviously really good. I I wonder how this is all going to shake out because if, if it would have been, and I hate to say this, but if it was like <clears throat> you know like Derek Mason or somebody else or, or Mark Stoops, I don't think it would it, it will be it would be as big of a deal as this is going to become. Yeah, and I that's, mean that's not right. It's Saban before one of the biggest regular SEC games that we've had right. in recent memory, and, and that mm-hmm. that I think is kind of is why this this news was received in a different sort of way. And we we've talked about this like this dynamic of look there there are going to be positive significant positives throughout mm-hmm. this season if you're trying to play a sport uh, that's not within a bubble. Like understood, Saban is different. Saban's different. Let's yeah. call it what it is. It's and it, it's. It's surprising. I talked about this. Talked about this with Will off air. But um, it's surprising because Saban's been pretty good about like making sure everyone. He's been kind of at the forefront of, of making sure everyone's wearing masks and doing like the stupid video with with Big Al and all that kind of stuff. And and he's been implementing this for a while because because his I think his whole thing is like fine, whatever, f it. Like I'll wear the mask. We just need to get back to business. Get back to business. But he right. hasn't been somebody that's like outspoken against it or or whatever. And it's seeming that he's taking all the the precautions. That sucks. Like that part of it is. That's the reminder like, of what we're dealing yeah. with here, and that's that's the the unfortunate, the unfortunate beast here is that even people that, uh, for, by all by all measures, it, it has followed every safety protocol that's been in place, and yeah. you know, there's Saban made the speculation that he wondered about, you know, if he had. Uh, contracted the virus when they were traveling to Oxford. And that's one of the things that I think we're, we're continuing to, to figure out about this thing with, in terms of traveling and when, you know, when that exposure could be, because we're, we're now seeing these SEC teams that have road games and they're coming back and they're going into different places and stuff. And they're not just necessarily isolated to the same areas yeah. on campus. So very fluid well, situation that we're dealing with right now. Yeah. And I think the last thing I'll say on it is, is two things and I'll just, I'll get street Barker, um, you know, wrestling promoter here. I know it's just a tweet and I'm not blaming anyone. And I'll say later on here that we're not going to blame anyone and how people are going to um, want to do that just from like human nature. Three teams, you saw the tweet, three teams oh boy. that have had, that have had like the most significant issues with it. Vandy, Florida, and now Bama. They yeah. all have one common opponent. Yes, they do. The, uh, don't want to don't want to point any fingers or anything like no, that. No, I'm not saying it's their fault. I'm just saying that that is that is out there and it's it's just something. Um, the other thing I'll say is this, and I'm not saying this in a negative way at all because you guys know how I, how strongly I feel about how good Georgia is. I feel like this is a 
terrible turn of events for Georgia as well because, like, the whole narrative is 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 that Saban doesn't lose to assistance and Kirby can't beat Saban. Yeah. They can't beat Bama. And now you have this, like, kind of built-in excuse. If they lose, well, hey, you know, Saban wasn't there. If they win, you still couldn't beat them, like, without Saban on the sideline. It makes it even worse. Like, it's... I'm not saying I don't. I don't. Not, I'm not trying to make a statement or, or poke fun at George at all. I just think it's something out there now that's it's like already no, it going to be built in. It, it kind of sucks is. too. It takes away from the game and and everything that everyone's worked for. I know Georgia fans that were that were also echoing that sentiment. It's like yeah, I mean like this sucks on every level. Obviously from from yeah. a public health standpoint, one of the you know great figures at, not just in college football but in all of sports that that is having to deal with this and you, and you wish the best for him as well but yeah i mean it fr- from just a, a football standpoint it definitely does take yeah. away from that so remember that the rest of this episode that you are about to listen to <laughs> i can't so i can't emphasize that enough was recorded before we knew the information about Nick Saban and Greg Burns so keep and it. A&M fans i'm just kidding and i love y'all it was it was Simply a joke. You'll you'll hear about it later in the episode. So keep that in mind. All right, here is the rest of the episode. Hello and welcome to the Saturday Night South podcast. He is Chris Marler. I am Connor O'Kara. Marler, COVID has officially hit the SEC regular season. Oh boy. That's the worst opening statement you could have had on the biggest week of the year. It's unbelievable. It's, it, like, I don't give a blank about COVID. We got Bama, Georgia this weekend. We'll talk about COVID, too. But you know what else is going to hit the SEC this weekend? The two best teams in America. Well, two of the three best teams in America. Whoa. Whoa Clemson's there. best team in America. Shots fired at Clemson. Yeah. We're going to have plenty of positive vibes on this podcast. I understand that some people are listening to this going into the weekend thinking, man, it feels like we've just been dealt bad news after bad news in the SEC this week with COVID and with the Florida and LSU game being postponed. We've got Vandy, Mizzou postponed. Ole Miss had an outbreak as well. And you're just like, all we've been getting is bad news. We have positive news. We are going to act, talk yeah. about actual football games that are being played this weekend. As of right now, Wednesday, 3.30 when we're recording this. And as of right now, Ole Miss and Arkansas are still scheduled to play, despite the fact that Lane Kiffin announced that they had an outbreak. And we're going to get to talk about real football things. So there will be positive vibes. But it has been the big story this week. And talking about a major game like LSU-Florida getting postponed to December 12th, is significant and it needs to be addressed. So yeah, I'll just, just I'll just know, say after that. We talk about Bama Georgia. We're gonna have plenty of Bama Georgia take takes for this day. We have no interview because we're like, hey, we have so many great things that we want to dig into yeah. with Georgia Bama this weekend, and we want to have all of our full picks and stuff like that. We have fourth and wrong. We have lock of the week, which by the way is on freaking fire. Just gonna say that. Just gonna throw that but out there. Oh yeah, it is. Yeah, it, it just doesn't lose. It can't lose at this point. Yeah. Um, I definitely just jinxed it. This is going to be the first losing weekend. Don't start. Yeah. But we have positive vibes. Marler, the most positive thing on my plate every single day is just tablespoons. The Holy Spirit. A- Amen. Tablespoons of Texas Pete. Please tell us about our friends at Texas Pete. All right, let me just tell you something right now, Connor. You opened up with COVID. Now you're talking about the metric system. I'm so over you and your anti-American BS right now. Uh, let me tell you something that is American. That is football in Texas, Pete. 
Who doesn't love both those things? If you don't, walk out right now if you are in the same room with us, but you're not. Regardless, I had, uh, I had for the first time in a long time Texas Pete on my eggs. Mm. You say it every, that's, that's every single staple. day. It, yeah, it's and I haven't done it in months because I, I get tired of making the mess. And But Allie taught me how to cook eggs because I'm 34. And, and the only thing that made it better was not her instructions. It was the Texas Pete. You can put it on everything. You can put it on your lunch. You can put it on your dinner. You can put it on a midnight snack if you want. Dunk it. Dunk some Oreos in there. Who cares? It's great on everything. Um, but make sure you go to TexasPete.com. Check out some new recipes. Uh, you can have drink recipes as well. It is about to get into into the fall cool weather season for those of us not in Orlando. Um, yep. Heat up your life with some Texas Pete. There you go. Marler, I, I ask you this, not as someone who's concerned about your well-being, but just as an individual who needs to know who, yeah. you know, every single day I, I start my day with some eggs. Yeah. And I need to know from you, what did you not know about cooking eggs? Oh, I'm just Allie bad. I, so I don't, I don't like slow eggs. Like I, I'm, I can cook the eggs. Like they get cooked. I don't, I don't have a lot of standards for what I'm putting in my body. Like the, like the food wise, it was like, so I'll just, I'll just crack some eggs open and then just stir them up in the, the actual pan instead of like scrambling them in a, in a bowl. You scratch and, the uh, pan though. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not my pan, so I don't care. Um, we can get a new pan. It's all good. So we'll anyway, just get a bowl. Also a bowl, but that's two steps. And you know me, I don't like mm. to do extra things. And so I um, I do that, and then I just kind of let it sit there. And, and then I'll, like, I'll just chop at it with the spatula. That's like my scrambling. But Ali showed me how to do like slow eggs, like where you don't have to be a heathen and, and let it like cook on eight on the burner for no reason. So that was that's what, that's what I did. They're okay. great. Good to know. This it took like a minute and a half longer, though, which is unacceptable. Yeah, your time is very valuable. That can yeah, be Peloton exactly. time. So, very good point. We have to start with the bummer of the week. The bummer of the week is that COVID has hit the SEC. We found out very early in the week that Vandy in Mizzou was going to be postponed to that built-in oh, date. You know, I was kind of excited to see Connor Bazelak again. You know, the Vandy defense is very depleted right now. We get to see Eli Drinkwitz's offense cook a little bit. You know, I wasn't uh, I wasn't necessarily pushing that one away the way that many were. I'll just say the that. The most the most there's no way I was going to tune into that game. I'm excited for Connor Bazelak, the most talented quarterback in the SEC according to Aaron Murray. He he just spells his name right. That's why I like him. Yeah. That's also fair. Um I, I like I'm excited for Mizzou. This is fun to watch. Like, that offense is fun. I, Eli Drinkwitz is like, you know, when he first got hired and he had the glasses and the kind of the comb over and the visor, he looked like such a nerd that just it didn't fit with, like, the like the SEC. He's awesome. He's great. He's, I mean, he's fantastic. Like, that's why you don't judge a book by its cover or even read books. So. Oh, okay. Going there. The issue now that we're seeing in the SEC is that while it's great that the SEC has the built-in makeup date of December 12th, which is the week before conference championship weekend, the issue now is that Florida and Mizzou are scheduled to play 10 days as of from 10 days from now, as of this mm-hmm. recording. The current COVID protocols in the SEC requires that a positive test results in 10 days of isolation. Contact tracing has players in 14 days of isolation. You can do some quick math there and understand that a breakout this close to uh, you know a game this weekend, obviously that, that resulted in the postponement for LSU Florida and for the game the following weekend is now very much up in the air. And with Mizzou and Florida having both already filled that December 12th makeup date, 
the question becomes, what do they do? They don't have the same bye week. What happens if that game needs to be postponed? And all of a sudden, we're looking at some very messy long-term issues and what happens if there are certain teams within the league that can't play all of their 10 games. And yeah. that is maybe the bigger picture issue that is wrong with this current situation because it's not as simple as like, oh, they'll all just play December 12th and we'll all be good and everybody only have one makeup game. What happens if there's more? So, and I, I was saying this in the beginning of, of like, or in the summer, I guess, and, and before the season started, was I, I didn't understand why they were necessarily, I, I get why we were pushing it back, right? Because we want to wait and see how we, how we can make this, like, from, like, a functionality standpoint and, and the logistics of it, and, and I thought that was great from Sankey. But at the same time, the 10-game schedule seemed kind of like a lot. And, and this, I, I still will maintain, I'm not blaming this current situation on the Big Ten, but like if, if all five Power Five conferences would have just been on the same page from the get-go, and we could have just had like the eight-game schedule that, that everyone was trying to work towards, we wouldn't be in the situation because that way then, then you have multiple bye weeks in the season and you have some some like leniency in case something happens like this. Because we knew this was going to happen. Like if you didn't right. think this was going to exactly. happen at some point, that's just completely ignorant to what's been going on. I mean, like, mm-hmm. like aside from however it affects kids or like the politics, I'm not, not saying anything about that, but like people are going to get COVID. Like it's just, it's just going to happen. I think that 99% of these kids are going to be fine. But the bottom line was this was going to happen in some capacity. I don't understand why we didn't build in more, I guess like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Like where you fall. Cushion, a cushion. Yeah, that's not what it was, but yes, I'll take it. Um, so yeah, like just just some more leeway throughout the season, and that way, you know, in case something like this happened, you can still carry out the rest of the year. The Big Twelve and ACC did that, and the Big Twelve and ACC started earlier. When all those games were getting canceled, though, then it's like, oh well, the SEC was smart to delay this. And so maybe the SEC kind of got away from being able to deal with some of that early, we're back on campus, some of these outbreak situations that were happening. But the issue now is the point that you just brought up. You have you have shrunken your window to be able to, to execute an entire season. Right. And it kind of goes back. I mean, and this is, Ross Dellinger said that this LSU-Florida game being canceled slash postponed, it's postponed as of right now. It's the 29th FBS game that has dealt with that so far this year, yeah. which is a lot. That's like 10% of the games that have happened yeah, so Houston far. Houston just started their season. Yeah, Houston's had like eight games canceled already yeah. or postponed. But that's, so that's the, the, the catch-22 with all of this is, look, we've seen, it's not just a regional thing. It's not just in the SEC. We've seen across the country already when you're playing sports that aren't in a bubble, this is kind of what you're going to have to deal with. And it's going to be, how do you pivot? The, the playoff scenario and what we have already seen unfold suggests that there's not really a whole lot more room to be able to pivot. They already moved back the original selection show date to be able to accommodate for these conference championships. That date is now December 20th. The problem right. is that the playoff semifinal games are January 1st. That is already the smallest window right. that they have ever had in terms of buildup and all that stuff. And we know in terms of TV contracts, that's why they are keeping the current Four-team playoff intact, and why are that they're not willing to expand and go beyond those means? But are they going to be willing to pivot even more if all of a sudden, you know, you have teams and contenders that are in significantly different situations? If Florida is sitting there, and I'm not saying this is going to happen, this is just using as an example because this is the first time we're really having to think about this stuff. If Florida is sitting there with like only seven games played going into conference championship weekend. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, somebody like Clemson is, has played 11 games or 10 games. 
how does that impact and how do we think of this moving forward? It's a mess. It's going to be a mess for the next two months, especially as we run out of potential weekends to be able to make these things up. We just need to be able to adjust our expectations and be willing to pivot and understand that this is a very fluid situation throughout this whole season. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I, th- I think that, um, you know, I don't know what the right answer is, like moving forward, um, like what, what they need to do, what they should do. Um, but that being said, I, you know, it, it's easy, it is easy to look back and look at a couple of these things. And it's like, you know, I, I never understood why we had fans in the stands at all. It just didn't make a lot of sense to me because it was, I think we had Matt Hayes on here who said the same thing. Like, you're just kind of inviting another variable into this already, you know, um, News like you know we've never seen anything like this. So so adding multiple variables to it, not going to be the easiest to to find a solution. I guess if something like this pops up, I, I don't know what will happen with that. I, I think that if, if if we played eight games, that should still be fine, right? I mean I don't. It, and it gets it gets interesting when you t- when you think about the Dan Mullen comment that was made over the weekend. And yeah, that was dumb. Know, and, 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 you know, and I, I kind of took that as more of a heat of the moment thing. It seemed like, and I don't want to put words in his mouth, he was frustrated the fact that A&M had what felt like more more like a, a crowd that was beyond its its limits. A&M That's had more than they were supposed like. to have in there. Let's just, I'll just, I'll say it. I'll be the bad guy because, and listen, I, I had this conversation with Will yesterday and, and he was he was asking what, if I thought that A&M might have been to blame. And I was like, I have no idea if A&M is to blame at all. But Scott I know Strickland how, seemed I know to be people, pointing the finger. Yes, but and I, I, yes, he did. I know how fans operate, and at this, as this whole pandemic has shown, not just on social media, but in general, in real life, I, I, I understand how I think people operate out of selfishness more than anything. And, and I'm not saying that because, you know, like, like it's good or bad, but the people are just, I think, inherently selfish because they're tired of being cooped up in their, their houses for however long, and they want to go get their, you know, back with their lives. They want their lives to start back up. And, and, and college football started like, I want to go to Bama games. I want, if A&M fans want to go to A&M games. But I, I said this in the summer, there's absolutely no way they were going to be able to implement this and carry it out. Because we saw it at Georgia the first week, which they still at least were separated, it looked like. It looked like there were way more people there than there probably should have been. It, A&M looked like there was, I, I'm not saying that's why Florida lost, because I still think that's stupid. But I think that- Yeah, I don't probably, like that either. Yeah, that was dumb. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, like they put these rules in place, and they obviously didn't enforce it. And and I'm not, I'm not saying that to like in a harsh way. And I'm just, let's just call it what it is, because I think that every school would do it. And in the same way, I'm, I'm honestly surprised we haven't heard of any coach hiding COVID tests yet. And and I know that sounds like crazy, like conspiracy theory type thing. But I'm just saying, in this day and age of football, I'm not, and I'm not pointing the finger at anybody. I'm not trying to start some, you know, giant hoopla about this. I'm just saying with the way this, how big college football is and how much pressure is on these coaches and how much like goes into these seasons and, and, and all this kind of stuff and, and the players' careers and like, you know, if you're going to be a draft pick, all those things, I'm just shocked at like just the, the inherent selfishness of people or innate selfishness of people hasn't, hasn't screwed us up even more. That's, that's all. We talked about that uh, throughout the offseason of who would yeah. be the coach most likely to want to cover that up before a big-time game or something like that. And would that type of thing come out? And we, we don't necessarily know. Yeah, shots fired at a uh, former basketball coach of my alma mater, who I'm not a big fan of. I'll just say no, that. You taught me so much about him. Yeah, not the best human being in the world. Um, but Dan Mullen, of course, took a lot of heat 
for the Pack the Swamp comments uh, as a result of what he said uh, shortly after that AM game the other day when he said that he wanted to see the swamp filled with 90,000 people. And quickly, you know, he quickly after we find out that Florida had this outbreak, it then comes back to Mullen and it's like, oh, well, you know, of course now, you know, the, he got what he was asking for essentially was what that, people yeah. were saying, which like, Mullen walked it back on Wednesday, and he didn't walk it back on Monday in the way that many were hoping for, but he walked it back more on Wednesday. The reality is the same, though, right? Like, the reality is that coaches are going to say things in the heat of the moment that are strictly based on their team, and that's that's been the case since the dawn of time, and I don't want to sit here and, like, chastise a coach for doing that because I think it was a comment made more so out of, Someone coming off of a loss, a game that he thought he should have won, <laughs> and like you. that happens all the time. It just the the fact that a public health issue was kind of the overarching thing of it obviously yeah. wasn't the best look. I said it when it happened. It was the most relatable thing Dan Mullen's ever done to me because it, it, he handled that loss exactly how. Like I can't tell you how many times in my life that I have overreacted to something and like calmed down five minutes later and been like, okay, you know what? I'm self aware enough to know that like I just overreacted. I apologize. That was stupid. I'm being an idiot. But like doesn't change the fact that in the moment <laughs> I said something like, you know, stupid in response. And I think that's obviously what happened. He was frustrated and he lashed out irrationally, um, which there, I, I Real get, quick, I there was one time during the SEC championship in 2018 where I oh, think God. Georgia scored a touchdown and you grabbed my shoulder so hard that it like, it scared me. I was like very worried about the state of mind that you were in. And I was like, I've never seen that type of reaction out of oh, you, bro, but when and I'm not I'm not gonna chalk it up to the heat of competition as like that's the reason that you can act like anything. Yeah. But it was a little reminder of like, oh yeah, he's in a very different headspace than yeah, I Yeah, always. Right <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, so so I get like from like Mullen's standpoint, like you know, thanks to the wonderful um, invention of liquor that and, and Candler Cook, that's the only reason I got over that LSU game last year. I mean, that's like <laughs> like if I wasn't, you know, I'm not gonna say how much I had to drink, but I mean, you know, it was a fun day, but I, I will say that the stuff that happened with Mullen, it's I, people like, I say it on here before, like I, I'm as liberal as they get with stuff, but like, I'm so sick of hearing about COVID like, and not saying it's not important because it, it is important, but it's like, I hate this, how it's, everything turns into like, he brought this on himself and he shouldn't have said this. And it's like, just let, you know what? People are going to get it. Let's figure out how to beat it. Let's move let's on. Just like, let's just deal with stop, reality. Let's yeah, let's just stop reality. pointing the fingers at people and be like, and figure out how to fix it. That's, I mean, that's it. And like, not COVID in general, but like this situation. I don't give a what he said on. Dang it! Now I got to write down the time. Um, <laughs> I, I don't care what he said about on, on Sunday as much as like, or or finding out who's to blame. Let's just figure out how to fix it and move forward. Positive vibes from here on out. Not from you, maybe, because we got to talk about Bama, Georgia now. Well, I mean, I'm. Hey, I have plenty of, of great thoughts that I think you're going to like about this game. Maybe maybe not oh, my prediction. Maybe not my prediction. But yeah. both of us sort of did our own deep dive. Yeah, what the hell are you doing, stats. man? That's my thing. I mean, your yours is mainly, I don't want to say it's strictly for, it's gambling and social, right? Like That's, that's not true. The, no, I do I do all of it. Well, some of them. Not, not for this one. I got, I got like a deep, deep dive with stats for this one. We have a lot of numbers that echo the same overarching yep. sentiment, which is, in my opinion, this is as good of a matchup as we can possibly ask for in the regular season. And it's better than what I even think 
we were predicting a month ago, two months ago, yeah. the way that Alabama's offense has started out, the way that Georgia's defense has started out, is going to make for an incredible showdown Saturday night. And I've been saying this throughout the week. I actually think it's a that that matchup in itself right there is better than any individual matchup that we've had in the 2018 SEC Championship, the 2017 National Championship. The strength-on-strength matchup is there, and it's fantastic. And the more that I think both you and I broke down some of the numbers that went along with this, we realized... Oh, this is great. Like this this is really really good and maybe after the week that's been and I tweeted this out, appreciate every single second that oh, we get of Georgia Bama regardless so of who your rooting interest is because this is the type of stuff that we don't always get and this this is just um, you get it every year. No, I mean with with two team with two units that are clicking this well. Yeah, that's that's okay. my my main point. Um, you go ahead. Again, different headspace, Connor, because I, I haven't wanted to look at anything for two straight days until yesterday. Like, it, And it was like the most, uh, I guess I'm going to have to start looking into this because I'm just, I'm living in fear. I just, I cannot, I, I don't want to lose this game. I feel like they're going to lose this game. I've been saying nonstop to Georgia fans, that, and, I, and I fully believe it, that Georgia will play for a national championship this year. I still know what those mentions are going to look like after Georgia wins if they win on Saturday. I, I still know what this state is going to look like and the things that people are going to say and the dynasty being dead or, or whatever. I'm not prepared for that. And, and if Wait, if Bama loses, will you wear your Bama shirt to Publix? Yeah, what? Will, you would be willing to do that. I, I don't oh know. Oh my gosh, I got a new dry fit. I got a new half zip. Oh. I got a Bama one. Yeah, game changer. There you um, go. It's, yeah, I mean, yeah, of course. Why would I not? I, I just I, I don't know always know how you act locally, especially oh, in a situation they like lost that. To Georgia, because they lost to Georgia, and you, yeah. you haven't necessarily had to experience that. I haven't necessarily, high school a bunch, and I wore Bama stuff on Monday because I, I was like I feel like I had I just earned it. I had to I'll, do it. I was gonna say as an adult. Oh yeah, no, um, <laughs> I haven't had experience. That's like and that's that's the thing that I keep fearing is, and I've said this to, to a lot of people is that. Like my mom always say, like I'm so proud of you for getting, you know, more mature and, and growing up and not getting so upset if Bama loses. I'm like, yeah, me too. But I haven't had to experience that in like a decade. So like, have I grown up? No. Yeah. It's just like they just never happens. So I, I just this game, it's always so intense and I hate it so much because it, you could just tell throughout the last decade it's shifting. Like the power is shifting, and, and and I've said this time and again, and I and I believe it that at some point. Bama's reign is obviously it can't go forever. Like I mean, it, maybe it's already over. I, I don't know, but like it's it's you know, it's it's shifting to where we saw it yesterday with twenty four seven sports posting the top ten most talented rosters from like recruiting rankings in the, in America. Georgia's number one. It, like Georgia is playing twenty five players deep on a defense that is I, I've I've said over and over again that it is the best defense in college football since twenty eleven Bama. They're deeper and more talented than that Bama defense. Statistically, Bama was better. They were probably that's Kirby was coaching. They were phenomenal. And they had a lot of talent on that defense. This defense, from a talent standpoint, is better. They rotate more guys in without without missing a beat. It, so, I'm just after watching Lane Kiffin almost ruin my life last week. I I just shudder to think what's going to happen with Kirby. Let's do some stats. We have some great numbers here. Some great side by side numbers. And I did a, a Twitter thread of this the other day. It was part of it was for a story that was focused on Mac Jones and that being yeah, the ultimate test for this Georgia defense. 
just with how well that Mac Jones was playing so far and, and how the, the two sides, when you, when you compare them, are just, it, it is strength on strength. Bama, number one in scoring offense against Georgia's number one total defense. Mac Jones leads FBS in quarterback rating. Georgia has allowed three offensive touchdowns so far this year. Najee Harris is number one in FBS with 10 rushing touchdowns. Georgia has allowed zero rushing touchdowns all year. Bama is averaging 5.1 yards per carry. Georgia is allowing 38 rushing yards per game. Mac Jones has one interception and 83 passes. Georgia is number four among Power Five in forcing turnovers. Bama is number three in Power Five with 27 first downs per game. Georgia is tied for second in Power Five with 14.3 first downs allowed per game. Bama, number one in FBS with 8.7 yards per play. Georgia is number two in FBS with 3.7 yards allowed per play. Uh, some okay, of those I, things you look at and you're just like, all right, this, is, this isn't this is the type of thing that we usually get in the SEC. Fair? So, so I saw the stat this morning on ESPN, and I did a deep dive into this yesterday that was a little bit more in-depth. Like, like I did 15 major like statistical categories. Right, and I'm not going to go through all of them, but but bear with us here because it's going to be a lot of numbers. But it's it's unbelievably impressive when you find out like where each team is. And so you have you have like like scoring offense. You talked about it. Like Bama leads the country in scoring, 51 points a game. Georgia is uh, number one. I'm sorry, number five in in the country and number one in the conference, giving up only 12.3 points per game. Um, Bama is number two in total yards per game. Um, like you, you said yards per play, you go through, uh, for passing Bama's number two in the country in passing yards per game, number one in yards per attempt, number two in quarterback, uh, passer rating, all of these things. And, and you start looking through it, Georgia ranks, num- Bama ranks number one or number two in, in five of 15 major categories in power five, a third Which of is them. a lot. That's a lot. That's crazy. In the SEC, they rank first in, in five out of the 15. They rank first or second in 13 out of the 15. Yeah. Think about that, okay? And in FBS, they rank um, in the top five in nine of 15 of these categories on offense, right? It is, it is the first matchup in, in, that, in a non-national championship game that, that pairs the number one most efficient offense versus the number one most efficient defense from ESPN's rankings. The other games that were uh, that had that were 2016 Bama Clemson, mm. 2019 uh, Clemson LSU, and 2006 uh, Rose Bowl with, with uh, Vince Young, Texas versus USC. Pretty good matchups. This is the first time it's ever <laughs> happened in, in the history of football in, in the, the regular season up until this point. Now, I, I go through those Bama numbers and it, it's stupid. It's, it's just absolutely stupid. Um, the, besides the rushing yards, really, the yards per attempt, I mean, 12.7 yards per attempt, the completion percentage being, being uh, 78%. Um, we talked about the passer rating, whatever. The third down efficiency, 64.5% conversion rate on third down, also number one in the country. Um, but when you look at this Georgia defense, I, I thought that all of Bama's numbers would be wildly impressive. Georgia's is far more impressive. Especially given the current context of the SEC, where you're talking about a Georgia defense that is 10 points per game better than the number two SEC defense. That, yeah. Like, nobody's playing defense in the SEC this year except Georgia. When we say that, the numbers bear that out as well. The fact that Georgia still hasn't allowed a second-half touchdown, averaging three yards per play in the second half of games. These veteran quarterbacks in the SEC, Bo Nix, Jared Garantano, Felipe Franks, yep. 
They're averaging 4.6 yards per attempt in the second half. Now compare that to Mac Jones, who since the 2019 Iron Bowl, wherein he has faced three defensive coordinators who are making $1.5 million a year, Mac Jones is averaging 15 yards per attempt in the second half. Right. This and, is and the ultimate say, chess match. Yeah, and you, you could say whatever you want about, you know, it's because of like the, the receivers he has, whatever. I think that's such a lazy, lazy narrative. Um, it, Mac Jones has been wildly impressive. He's, there's a reason why three Bama players are in the top six for, for Heisman odds currently. I mean, three of the top six, and two of them are ahead of Kyle Trask, which is shocking. But Mac Jones has been incredible in this offense. I, I'm going to do a deep dive later tonight about his uh, numbers versus Tua and see what we come up with. But, but back to this Georgia defense. I know it's only been three games. This dates back to last year. Like their, their numbers were just as good last year. They're actually a little bit better right now. But I'm talking giving up 236 yards per game, uh, giving up 3.7 yards per play, like you said. The, you talk about the rushing yards. They're only giving up 1.49 yards per carry, which it's is absurd. also number one in the country. That's, that's stupid. The yards per attempt through the air, 5.2. Um, and and every, every number I just gave you ranks in the top five nationally, okay? Um, completion percentage, it was only uh, 18th, all the way down to 18 there, allowing 55% completion percentage. Their, their quarterback pass rating is the third lowest in, in all of college football. Um, you look at, you look at uh, the only thing they, they rank uh, that's not number one, the, the only stat they rank not number one in is red zone defense because they've given up 100% of red zone uh what do you call it? Score judge because it's only been that two. Can be, it's, that can be two steep. for two. Yeah. So, so when you look at this, scoring, total yards, yards to play, rushing yards, completion percentage uh, for opposing quarterbacks, sacks, third down conversions, 30-yard-plus uh, plays allowed, um, first downs allowed, red, red zone we talked about, all of those things, 15 different categories I broke down. They rank number one or number two in 14 of the 15 of those in the SEC, right? They rank number one or number two in nine of the 15 in all of Power Five. All of Power Five. Pretty, pretty I, I just I don't understand how they could be that dominant because, like you, I mean it's easy to skew some stats, like you said. Not with them, and I know it's early in the season. Everything they have done has been dominant. And you can look back to last season and just how salty that defense has been. I can't remember how many total yards they were giving up a game last year. I think it was like two fifty, two sixty. That's incredibly low. I mean that that's in this day and age, that is incredibly low. Here's a question for you as a Bama fan. And I don't even know if there's another example of this. 2018 Clemson, that defense, nasty. All-time unit, was very well prepared, obviously, in the national championship. How many other defenses can you think of as a Bama fan, despite the fact that Bama's got the number one offense in the country right now and has been unstoppable ever since Steve Sarkeesian took over, how many defenses can you legitimately think of in the last decade that you've been like, man, this is going to be really, really difficult to score points like we're talking about this 2020 Georgia defense. 2016 Bama? That's it. I, I just mean like opponents that Bama has oh. faced. Um, I mean, 2018 Clemson, I didn't think Bama would have a hard time with them because of the arrogance of going into that game. The great you have the, the layoff too where you have a lot of time yeah. to be able to prepare. Yeah. Um, I think that from an opponent standpoint, Man, that's a good question. Like I, I, there may be some of those LSU games, but I think that was also due to the fact that we had an offense that was 
kind of limited in what they did, and it, it matched up well with with LSU's defense. And, and to a, like, that 2016 season, Bama blew out everybody. Jalen Hurts' freshman year, mm-hmm. it, they ended up winning 10-0 against LSU. Um, most of those games have always been close, so I think – but I think that's a lot more about the style of offense that is being played against that defense. I haven't seen any any defense like this that, that is, again, from an opponent standpoint, none. Besides maybe 2018 Clemson, maybe. And that was honestly just their defensive line. This is, from a depth and talent standpoint, far better. Yeah, it's interesting that 2017 Georgia doesn't even come up. And uh, I, I think if you would even ask some of those oh, yeah. 2017 Georgia players, they would say, "Yeah, this 2020 group, that it's it's on a little bit of a different level." I think from a depth oh, it's standpoint, not even close. I don't I don't remember the numbers from 2017's defense, but this defense is it's, it's way better. Like and I'm not I'm not exaggerating when I say it. Like it is, like you they rotate 25 guys. Yeah, like I, like think about that's, that. That's the key point. If you took Roquan Smith off the 2017 Georgia defense, I think that defense looks different because of how yeah. much he was able to do that year. Whereas even if you take a Monty Rice or Aziz Ojulari off this defense this year, yeah, I mean, you might feel their absence a little bit, but there's just so many capable guys that right now, when, when depth is such a question in college football, Georgia has it in spades. Nolan Smith was the number one player in the country coming out of high school. Rotational guy. He's a rotational guy that I, he is, the, he's like, there are, I'm going to say eight, and I'm, I feel like I'm being comp, like, I feel like that's that's not enough. Like I feel like I'm, I'm like like you know kind of lowballing it here. Eight other guys that that are more noteworthy than him that I hear more about. Like, and that's not because he's a bust. It's just that this defense is, it's unreal. It's it's they're and they're so damn disciplined with everything. Again, like I've seen defenses that have ranked well statistically. You you'll see Penn State every once in a while or Iowa or some shit like that. I don't know. Like that like <laughs> that aren't that good, but they're like oh yeah you know we we hardly have we got a stout defense this year. It's like not like this. And yeah, again, like number one in in the SEC, number one in the SEC, in or number one or two in the SEC in fourteen or fifteen of those categories. Like it's it's everywhere. They they don't allow the run. They, the only thing that they're not ranked uh, number one, and I think like from uh, like I think it's turnovers and then third down conversion rate, which is where South Carolina is somehow ahead of them. Everything else they've absolutely dominated. And like you said earlier, the the next closest person, not even close. Let's pick some football games. You want to do that? Let's do it. Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. We have, as of right now, five games in the SEC this weekend. Let's start with Auburn and South Carolina. Before we start with some picks, let's take a quick break, actually. I faked out. That was a little pump fake. A little hezzy. That's what they call it. A little hezzy hay. Let's take a quick, let's take a quick break to talk about the newsletter. If you are not yet you should definitely be subscribing to the Saturday Football Newsletter. We always talk about this. Adam Spencer does such a great job putting it together. All you have to do is go to saturday.football, and you're going to get all of your college football news in one place. It's going to show up in your email every single morning. And if you just want the headlines, the big things, what's going on in college football with some commentary as well, Adam's going to have all of that covered. You want to be an informed college football fan. Maybe you're not the type of person that wants to sift through social media. Maybe you're trying to back off social media a little bit. Totally understand that. All you got to do is go to saturday.football, subscribe to the Saturday Football Newsletter, and it's going to be your one-stop shop. I promise you, you're going to think to yourself, how did I not do this before? The Saturday football newsletter is the best. Go do that right now. All right. Now 
Let's talk some picks, some over-unders. Let's start with Auburn and South Carolina. Auburn is a three-point favorite. I guessed that Auburn would be an eight-and-a-half-point favorite. I was way off on this one. You had Auburn as a five-and-a-half-point favorite. God, I think the injuries are going to have something to do with that. The over-under that I have is Tank Bigsby carries. I set the over-under at 19, coming off a career high last weekend against Arkansas. Um, Probably over. I mean, what else are they going to do? DJ Williams is back healthy. Get Still don't know Williams. if Sean Shivers. No, they're not going to be like. DJ Tank, Williams is good. DJ Tank Williams Biggs is good. Is obviously, the best running back they have in that backfield. Agreed. Agreed. Um, I, so I would say over because I think that this is going to be a game where they're going to have to. I keep saying it every week. I feel like they have to find their offensive identity. And I just assume it's going to be running the football. I assume both teams. That yeah. That's kind of. That was my question coming into this week was. Did Auburn and South Carolina both sort of find their offensive identity as more run-first teams? Is that what they want to do? Because this Auburn defense is a little bit more vulnerable than what we were expecting as of two weeks ago, definitely coming into this year. K.J. Britt being out is brutal. Um, He's up there with Nick Bolton for best run defenders in the SEC. Zacoby McLean is now playing middle linebacker. We don't know if Jalen Simpson is going to be back. We don't know if Big Cat Bryant is going to be back. Those guys were out this past weekend. There were about three of their four captains this past weekend against That's Arkansas. Crazy. Not to make excuses, but they, they have to play the hand that they're dealt. And Auburn yeah, needs I mean, they, those they two really guys. didn't catch a lucky break there. Like it was sad to see this not guys not be able to play. Not at all. But Auburn needs those guys because Kevin Harris is good. And yeah. I'm, I'm going to stand on that take that the South Carolina back is definitely somebody that can take over a game and can do so in a variety of different ways. Can South Carolina lean on him and not necessarily put Colin Hill back there against Kevin Steele pass rush? I, I don't know. Felipe Franks just looked awfully good against I Kevin Steele's defense. I, again, I'm just we got to get off Kevin Steele a little bit because he has not looked great this year. Um, they still have a top 25 defense. Do they? That? They gave up 447 yards to, to, what do you call it, to Arkansas last weekend. Without Rakeem Boyd as well. Yeah, which is and very with, and without tra- And without Traylon Burks as well yeah. uh, in that game. So, so I, I think that he definitely, like, I don't think it would be that bad to have to rely on Colin. Uh, why, why am I drawing a blank here? It's Colin Hill. Yeah, Colin. I, I don't think it would be that bad to have to rely on him. I think he's had a, a good season. Um, I will say that, like, they're going to have to be – they cannot be one-dimensional against his defense if they're going to win. They, they absolutely That's, cannot be. Yeah, agreed. I tend to find myself leaning towards Auburn again, and but I, I think this game stays close. And they didn't cover last weekend against Arkansas. They shouldn't have even won outright against right. Arkansas. But I have Auburn winning a relatively close game by a touchdown, and maybe it's a game – that comes down to some sort of weird coaching decision. And South Carolina finds a very South Carolina way to win. I don't wanna I don't wanna change my evaluation of South Carolina last week, especially after finding out that Vandy had fifty-six scholarship players available yeah. and they're even more depleted this week, and that's why they're not even able to play. But, you know, I think South Carolina has done some okay things offensively, and I think defensively. They've actually looked better than some of the units yeah. that we were assuming, like Florida and Alabama, that we were assuming were going to be heads and shoulders above South Carolina. So I think they'll have a chance to hang around. But ultimately, Auburn 
finds a way to win. They've been through some adversity in the second half of game so far this year. And whether they've deserved it or not, they have found ways to win two different games. So I'm going to take Auburn to cover a three-point spread on the road. I want to do that too. I really do. Um, I want to do it last week against Arkansas and just say that, you know, history is going to repeat itself. They were going to, they were going to cover for like the eighth straight year or whatever it was. Um, this Auburn offense is bad. It's just, it's just, there's no other way to put it. It's bad. And I know they faced, I'm trying not to get too, you know, into like stats for, for these teams, because especially if you already played Georgia, I mean, cause your offensive numbers are going to be a little bit skewed, but this is just kind of who they are, I feel like, at this point. And we see what Bo Nix, I, 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 that second half that he played against, uh, against Kentucky was great. Like 9 of 13, had like 180 yards, something like that, or 160 yards. He was fine. He had three touchdowns. I think he was okay. I think yeah. he was all right. He benefited from short fields. That's what I come back to. Also true. And I, I think that I really like almost wanted to, especially after a week where we had like both were terrible with picks, and I was, you know, the tough start of the year. I was like, well, maybe just my takes were all... An overreaction. <laughs> they all sucked. <laughs> Maybe they were all wrong. And so then we saw what he did against against Georgia. And it wasn't like he had a bad game against a great defense. He had a bad game just because of his own limited abilities and what he's able to do. He's, he's still only completing 56.8% of his passes. He only has four touchdowns on the year. 80% of his passes go to three guys. So it's, yep. it can't be that hard to prepare for him um, outside of Anthony Schwartz's speed. I think that they, they, they're going to have to get Bigsby like – a lot of carries, like you said. I, I think that'll definitely have to happen. But at the same time, South Carolina's defense is the fourth best rushing defense in the SEC. Uh, and this is a defense that has, you know, they gave some plays to Florida, but who didn't? Who hasn't given up plays to Florida this year? I, they've, they've been in games this season. And, and I, I'm going to lean back to what I said about South Carolina at the start of the season. And I think they're a better, they're, I don't think their record is going to necessarily reflect this, but they're a better football team than people are giving them credit for. What? Watch this game end with, and this just popped into my head. And for the sake of South Carolina fans everywhere, I hope this doesn't happen because y'all deserve better. You really do. You really do. But wouldn't, couldn't you picture this? Just close your eyes and picture this. South Carolina is trailing by seven. It's two-minute drill time, which for South Carolina isn't really yeah. a thing. It's more of just yeah, run offense as slow as possible. Take your time. See, you got all day. You're going to be fine. And South Carolina is on like the 30-yard line. They're on like Auburn's 30, down a touchdown. It's fourth and six. Muschamp kicks a field goal. Right. <laughs> Auburn still finds a way to cover. Yeah. Muschamp attempts the onside kick afterwards. It doesn't work. And South Carolina loses. And South Carolina fans are just left wondering, what do we got to do, man? What do we got to do? Yeah. No, I mean, I, I could easily see, that, easily see that happening. And this is a game that Auburn should win. Do you know the last time South Carolina beat Auburn? SEC scheduling is going to make this more lopsided than it should be. Mm-hmm. Especially since they say... were in the ACC for, for years and years. Oh, gosh. Wait, does it predate that? 1933. What? Yeah, they haven't played. Like, to be fair, they, hadn't had, they had a gap in playing from 33 to 1996. But they have, they've lost well, I knew that. Yeah. eight in a row to, to Auburn. And, and this has been, you know, they've only played a, three times since 2010. Obviously, the SEC championship game was one. Uh, which it was kind of unreasonable to, you know, um, throw that in there because Cam beat everybody. 2011 and 2014 as well. I, 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 this is a game, again, that Auburn should win. They are more talented, uh, like, on their roster, on both sides of the ball, really. Um, and they absolutely should win this game. 
And you said something earlier about how is it something where that you know a coaching decision late makes gives South Carolina the win. I I had to like stop and take a deep breath when you said that because that never. No, happens. it gives Auburn the end. Okay, gives that Auburn makes <laughs> that yeah, makes yeah, more yeah. sense. No, not South was, Carolina. Come on. Um, yeah, because that's a foreign foreign concept. What I'll say is this: I just think that this Auburn offense is is so bad, and I don't think like Will Muschamp was the DC under Gus Malzahn. He knows how this whole thing works. I, I think that South Carolina is is going to beat Auburn at home, and Will Muschamp is going to mm. have his one moment, like he seems to have every single year, mm. where he can just kind of give the middle finger to everyone that's been like saying he should be fired, and then he'll go lose like three games in a row after this. Okay, they're Kentucky. at home. Yeah. Um. Okay. Still, uh, Auburn's two and five in their last seven games on the road. True. This is true. Yeah. Kentucky, Tennessee. Tennessee is a six-point favorite. I guess Tennessee minus seven. You guess Tennessee minus nine. So I'll take the win on that one. Yeah, there you go. The over-under that I have is total rushing yards in this game. I set it at 350. Uh, under, because I think both defenses are probably better than that. But what do both offenses want to do in this game? Tennessee, especially after the performance it had against Georgia, where it was minus one rushing yards at the end of that day, wants to be able to establish the ground game. Kentucky, after the frustrating offensive day that it had against Mississippi State, that's kind of lost in the shuffle of that. When you only have 157 total yards, you're not exactly lighting them up. I think Kentucky also really wants to be able to establish that ground game. I I think that that Kentucky going into this, you, you know all the history with with Mark Stoops and his struggles against the Vol- or against the Vols and specifically against Jeremy Pruitt, we talked about that the other day. Pruitt says that Kentucky should be three and zero, so he's treating Kentucky like they're the best one and two team in America. Yeah, which you know what, there, there's they a case be to two be and made. one. There's a case to be made that they should be two and one. Has Kentucky found its defensive identity? That's the key question for this game because. You have to play Tennessee much differently than you played Mississippi State the previous weekend. Josh Palmer, and this is going to be a tough thing for Kentucky fans to hear, I think Josh Palmer is SEC East Seth Williams. Some of the catches that he's making on the sideline where he's going up and high-pointing the football, he looks legit. And he looks like somebody that Jared Garantano has a lot of trust in. So that's the question that I have. Because if that's a mismatch for Kentucky, that's bad news. That's really bad news. So the over-under for this game, by the way, 46 points. That's it. Expecting it to be a very defensive-focused football game. How does Tennessee respond to getting whipped? I think that good, well-coached teams bounce back. I think that Tennessee bounces back. I'm yeah. going against my original prediction that I had in the preseason for this one based on what we've seen from these two teams so far. I think Kentucky struggles to, to run the ball the way that it wants to. As you said, Tennessee's run defense is really good. So... Again, changing the original pick. I'm taking Tennessee not only to win, but to cover a six-point spread. You know what's kind of crazy is every week when I go through all this stuff um, and I, I look at, like, just different projections and, and there's, like, places like Odd Shark and, and Sportsline and they have, like, those stupid computer projections and stuff like that that will, like, give you a score, like a predicted score. And, and two of them this week have, um, have Kentucky winning outright. That's why you should just go to my bookie and get all your gambling information yeah. all the time. We'll get to that later. So I'm, I'm just saying from like a, like breaking down the game standpoint, Connor. I'm not talking about it from a gambling I got you. standpoint. I got you. So, like, I, I 
I want to believe in Kentucky because it's a feel-good story. They, they got off the schneid, and they, they finally won last week. I, I was listening to SEC this morning with, with Hester and Doring, and, and I forgot who the guy they had on was. He was great. But he, he said something that kind of struck me, which was, Kentucky can run the ball on anyone. And I was like, oh, okay. I? I, and I believed it because I kept thinking of what they did, you know, especially in the first half against Auburn. And then I saw what they did against Ole Miss, having, you know, 400 yards rushing, all that good stuff. And then I started thinking about it. I was like, oh, yeah, I missed that Kentucky-Mississippi State game because Bama was on. And, and they cannot run the ball on anyone. They, they, they showed that last week. They had 157 yards of total offense against Mississippi State at home. 51 of it came on one play, too, from Terry Wilson. That is unreasonably bad. I mean, that's, that's terrible. I don't think that they, Kentucky is going to be able to run the football on, on this defense. And, and for whatever reason, in, in a year where we've already given – like so much hype going into the season with Kentucky, and, and you want them to get over the hump, and this is a game where especially they're going to play the underdog role and all that good stuff, and you want to see Coach Stoops do well, especially. I think that I think that Tennessee has turned the corner as a program to where they don't lose games like this, and, and, and that place, especially Neyland Stadium, has haunted Kentucky for, for years and years. And we saw it a couple years ago. I know it was a, a loss right after they lost the SC East, basically, to, to Georgia at home. And, and they were kind of deflated, but they got like they got worked by by Tennessee in in Knoxville. I, I think Tennessee wins. I don't know if they cover, but I think that Tennessee wins this football game and and like kind of has a little bit of a flex, like or all, all the little brothers in in that division that have kind of picked on them over the past couple of years. Tennessee would be rethinking things a lot if they were to lose at home against Kentucky. It would be like, wow, yeah. how much. How much did we really prove and really make strides as a program with that winning streak if all of a sudden reality hits and you're back to 2-2 two and two and Kentucky actually has a leg up in the division race on, on Tennessee? I think that would be a very tough pill to swallow for Tennessee fans, though I don't think that is going to happen. Ole Miss, as of right now, is still scheduled to play against Arkansas. Ole Miss is a 3.5-point favorite. Again, that line could move all yep. over the place if we find out about some of these COVID-related absences. So definitely going to stay on top of that. That's just as of right now on Wednesday afternoon. I guess Ole Miss was going to be a two-and-a-half-point favorite, and you agreed, which yep. I think that's the first time all, all year that you've specifically agreed on, on an exact spread, and we were pretty close to that. Mm -hmm. The over-under I have is references to Kiffin and the Arkansas job. I set the over-under at 1.5. I, I guess over? I didn't know... There was that you addressed much it this the, week. Yeah, I didn't realize there was that much that rumor mill, but apparently there has been. Um, so I guess over. Okay. I, well, I say that just because with Arkansas fans, it was a very popular topic of conversation throughout, well, throughout the, the coaching you know, search and like whether or not. Look for that. That. Did I misremember the Kentucky loss to Tennessee? I thought it was like 50-something to nothing. It, was, it says which, 24 which to loss? 7, two years ago. Which loss? Oh, yeah, it wasn't 50 to nothing. Okay. But 20, right. 24 to 7 felt like 50 yeah. to nothing with how Tennessee was scoring points two okay. years ago. Fair enough. Um, go back to Arkansas, my bad. <laughs> I, was like, I was so confused. Um, so, you know, I, I think that, that that's kind of at the root of why they would maybe bring that up. But mm -hmm. Sam Pittman doing what he's doing at Arkansas so far, an Arkansas team that has shown up ready to go in all three games that it has played, which there are not a lot of SEC teams that can say that. No. I mean, really, think about that. And that is a, a testament to Sam Pittman after this atypical offseason. 
This is the best sneaky matchup of the weekend. Lane yeah. Kiffin's offense against Barry Odom's defense. Two units that have exceeded expectations so far and have given their teams a chance. Mm-hmm. Ole Miss right now is number 11 in the country in scoring, number two in total offense, number Jeez. one in power five, number three in completion percentage after the year that was last year with Rich Rod's offense. That's saying yeah. something. They're number four in passing in FBS. They're number one in FBS in first downs, and they're tied for first with the fewest turnovers. That's that, just teams that have played at least three games. That's, that's so really good. Yeah. yeah. Matt Corral's been incredible this year. He has been. Compare that to Arkansas, where it, it, within the SEC, because I think that's, that's the question, with how much Arkansas was going to be able to improve defensively under Barry Odom in year one. Arkansas's ranks in the SEC are pretty good. Number four in the league. Yeah, on defense. Again, I don't think people understand. They were giving up over five touchdowns a game for three straight years. John the Dan Chavis was not getting it done. The numbers didn't even waver. It was like like 34.8, 36.3, 35.7. It was ridiculous. If you were a featured tailback and you didn't have a 100-yard game against Arkansas, did you lose your starting job? Yeah, you'd have to. I don't know. You played quarterback for Chad Morris. Yikes. Arkansas's SEC defensive ranks, number four in forcing turnovers. They're number five in third down defense, number two in red zone defense. Again, that's got, can be, that sets can be a little bit mm-hmm. skewed. Number six in the SEC in scoring, number seven in total defense. All those key metrics, they're in the top half of the SEC. The loser of this game is going to have a unit, whether that's Arkansas's defense or Ole Miss's offense. They're going to have a unit that's better than one in three. Like, yeah. I, I truly believe that, and that's going to be a frustrating thing to accept. Don't forget, as Adam Luckett of uh, KSR pointed out, who does really good work covering football for them, pointed out Old Miss offensive coordinator Jeff Levy, who we know had his rise with, with UCF, was also on Barry Odom's defense, was on Barry Odom's coaching staff at Mizzou mm-hmm. and faced that defense a lot. Right. So that's a very interesting little wrinkle. Potentially could give Old Miss an advantage, but Old Miss heavily impacted by COVID. At least that's what it sounds like based on the comments from Lane Kiffin that we heard on Wednesday. That moved my original pick, I'll be honest. Like I was getting ready to say, I think Ole Miss is gonna win this game, but give me Arkansas to win outright against an Ole Miss roster that we know defensively they couldn't stop anyone even when they didn't have depth issues. And now, ugh, yikes, that could be a very tasty matchup for this Arkansas offense. Okay, so I'm concerned because, is, is first off, is, is Rakeem Boyd playing? We don't know just yet, but after what we saw from Davion Warren and Traylon Smith, those guys were great. I mean, we don't even know yet the status of Rakeem Boyd or Traylon Burks, but with those guys playing as well as they did against Auburn, that factor, I think, is a little bit less than what I was originally thinking. So, okay, I could, I could see that. Um, and it's it's come on, it's Ole Miss's defense. Like if you have, is awful. if you have a pulse, if yeah. you have a pulse, you can score. But I, but I'll also say that Ole Miss's defense has played Alabama and Florida in the first two games, which are two of the best and offenses Kentucky. in the country. Yeah, Kentucky sucks, but like like this, these are two of the best offenses in the country. So uh, yes, they're bad, but like you know, giving up nine touchdowns to Bama on eleven possessions is is horrifically bad. Um, that being said, I, the Arkansas defense, I, I wanted to get behind this, and I think it's a great matchup. I really do. I think it's, I think it's awesome. Um, Vegas did a really good job with this because they, like, obviously went heavy on everyone being super, like, recency bias after watching Bama play, uh, or after Ole Miss playing Bama last week. So it makes sense they're favored. On the road, though, against Arkansas, and Arkansas has been bad 
they're 3-0 and against the spread under Sam Pittman. I, what's interesting for me is the Barry didn't cover thing. against Didn't cover against Georgia week one, though. They were one point away from covering because oh. Georgia won that game by 27. Maybe, the, okay, it depends on what site, but yes, yes, you are. I th- yeah, I think yeah. what we did, it was like 26. It was right. very close, though. Um, yeah, because the number got bought up to 27 and a half or 28 mm. or something like that. But okay. so, gotcha. but, but looking at this defense, they they haven't been, they, they've been good. They've, they've been really good. I mean, limiting Mississippi State, I think we, we really gave them a lot of credit for that. Um, and, and they barely lost to Auburn. They did give up 446 yards to Auburn last week. And 259 yards on the ground. I worry since this is the, the the number 11 ranked rush defense in the SEC. How are they going to be able to stop this almost almost uh, offense? Because and what's crazy, I never thought I would say this at the beginning of the year. We're in week uh, week four, and and Arkansas has played Georgia. They played. I know Mississippi exactly State, what you're saying. And they yep. played Auburn. And is this the best quarterback that they're going to face yet? And it definitely is. Matt Corral. I think it is. He's not getting enough respect nationally or or even in our league. It's the best quarterback they're going to have faced. I wonder how that, that secondary is going to look. Um, I mean, Stetson Bennett looked fantastic against them, and it's nothing against him, but it also is. I wonder how that, that secondary is going to look because they gave up not that many to Auburn, but 266 passing yards to Georgia? Yeah. I think, I think Ole Miss is going to – I don't know the COVID problems, how many people it's going to keep out, and – if it's key guys on offense, I don't care about the defense. I just that's that's a wash. I, I don't know if Arkansas's offense can keep up with him. They're they're not. Arkansas's offense has not been great. Felipe Franks has been really good the past two games. From a scoring standpoint, not good. Relative to the rest of the SEC, right. considering these explosions. And they did play Georgia first week. First week. True. True. So um, yeah, we'll be we'll be split on that one. A and M six and a half. Point favorite in the Maroon Oh, by the way, Bowl. real quick, I'm a thousand percent taking Arkansas to cover, just not to win outright. I was going to until oh, you okay. decided you were going to do that. Um, so that's rude. But also, the I'm going to take the under because it's 76. Oh which wow, seems like a lot. 76. I mean, I think they're banking on Ole Miss to score about 45. Yeah, and, that yeah, makes sense. But anyway, points. A&M six and a half point favorites against Mississippi State in Stark Vegas. Uh, I, by the way, said A&M minus 10 and a half and immediately regretted it. You were yep. right. I was way, way too high on A&M for that line. You had at six and a half, so you were right on the money for that one. I set the over-under at Kylan Hill touches at 16. Now, there's been some murmurs out of, out of Stark Vegas that Kylan Hill might be one of the guys who isn't fully on board with what Mike Leach has been no. doing so far. There's been some rumors. I'm not. I'm not going to say that that's 100% true or anything like that. But if there is a little bit of that concern, or if Leach wants to address some of that concern, one would think. Yeah, this is just me. You know kind of the, the aerial view of this whole thing. Mm-hmm. One would think that Mike Leach would want to make his best player happy because yeah. He's got 15 carries all year. He had 15 catches last week. We knew that he was going to be used differently in this offense. But Mike Leach is going to have to run the ball more in order for this to work if teams are just going to only rush three and drop eight into coverage. Yeah, right? tell Mike Leach that. I mean, like that's a, that's a hard sell. That's a, I mean, that's a hard sell to tell somebody, especially with that, that kind of personality, that they have to, you know, switch up their style of offense. It, like, it, it's the brand, but he's it's your best still... player. He's your, like, stop trying to make K.J. Costello a thing. He's not, he's not. I like, I like fetch. Yeah. Well, it's never going to be a thing, Connor Gretchen. No. Um, no, I agree. I would think that you said how many 16 and a half. I set the over under at 15 Kylan Hill, 
Uh, 16 Kylan Hill touches. I'll say under. That seems like a lot. Okay, fair enough. Um, MSU, by the way, has three fewer rushing attempts per game than anyone in FBS. I get it. That was to be expected. Look, like they have followed the MO that we thought. We right. knew that Leach wasn't going to come in here and try and play to the SEC. He was going to try and make the SEC to play to him. When you have two weeks that are as bad as they were, one has to think some sort of adjustments are coming. I mean, yeah. Kylan, Hill, Kylan Hill getting 13 carries in a game isn't throwing the air raid in the trash. You know, like, it, it's not. It shouldn't be. And if, if you're only doing this to uphold the brand that is the air raid offense, sooner or later, stubbornness has to be able to... You got to win football games. Like, it's not a good enough excuse. You need to be able to win football yeah. games. Exactly. Um, you know, it, it's only... What, just what an incredible turn of events. It, it could not have happened Seriously. in a worse way for a, for a guy like Mike Leach because I think it's a guy that... I was shocked that he came to the SEC in the first place just because of... The programs he's been at, I think it's a good fit, and I love what he's been able to do and all that kind of stuff. I was just shocked when it initially happened. Um, you know, he has said this is the same guy from from uh, SEC this morning said this. He obviously said that like you know if if they dropping eight in coverage was something we couldn't figure out, like we would have been out of business a long time ago. Well, two teams have done it to him, and and yeah. we've seen the results both times, and it's not been good. So I I am assuming that's going to be. A&M's MO on defense, right? That's the question, though. That's the question I have because Mike Elko loves to load the box. He loves to force teams to throw. You can't do that. You can't do that against <laughs> Mississippi State. Happen. That's a bad idea. Yeah. Uh, six times in three games, MSU was picked off by a linebacker or a defensive lineman. Six times this in season? three games. Yeah, five of those happened against Kentucky, mind you. There was also the Jabril Cox uh, interception week one. But that's that's not good, and that's telling that teams are dropping into coverage, and that's what Kentucky did all day. I went back and rewatched yeah. those interceptions. That's what they're doing. There's a very obvious thing here, and you could say, hey, look, I've built a career on this. I get it. Nobody's asking you to reinvent the wheel, yeah. but there's got to be some sort of compromise here just to say, hey, we have an all-SEC tailback here, and if we're seeing three down linemen – we can't just run the ball five times in a game and say it's not working. Yeah, I mean, your other thing isn't working either. Well, and I, and I get what you're saying. I think, for like in the grand scheme of things, sure, you can you can take that stance, and, and it would be not wrong. For this game, throw all over this A&M secondary. That secondary has been garbage. They, they've has been, not been good. No, and, and they're very young and inexperienced. And I think that Leach is going to be in a situation where this is a perfect setup for him. I I, I think I, when the line came out, I knew again recency bias would take over. A&M was going to be favored. It's on the road. Um, I, I, I'm not sold on Mississippi State. Like The fact they've had four, four, four turnovers minimum in every game they've played so far is outrageous to me. I mean, just outrageous. I, I don't know. Like, this game comes down to the quarterback play, and I know it sounds like a just generic throwaway statement, but can K.J. Costello not turn the ball over three times? That seems like a lot, honestly. Like yeah. It shouldn't be, but it seems like a lot. Um, and then Kellen Mond on the road. And, and I think that what A&M found as their identity last week was running the football and being more physical. And I don't see them being able to do that against Mississippi State's defense because Mississippi State's run defense yeah. is really, really good. And I, I think that it's a perfect matchup for Mike Leach's offense to kind of expose how bad A&M is on the back end. So I don't, I don't want to say A&M is going to, is going to 
win or lose necessarily. I, I, I'm taking Mississippi State to cover all I day. Agree. They, it's, they've covered in three of the last four until last year. It's Kellen Mond on the road. It's Jimbo Fisher on the road in the SEC. Two and seven in true road games. Exactly. Since he's been in the SEC. And, and, so I, and I know that Arkansas just went up there and beat him, but I think that even that's different. I, I just think that this mixture of personalities is, is going to – I said the same thing last week with Lane Kiffin, right, about how he's, he's a big enough – like his ego is his biggest, you know, what do you call it, um, like determining factor of, of what they were going to put up on offense. I think it's similar for, yeah, for Jimbo Fisher and, and Mike Leach. And yeah. I think that Leach is going to commit to the the, ga- uh, the passing game, especially against this defense, and, and they are going to – I think they're going to score uh, a, a decent amount on this A&M defense, and I think they're mm-hmm. – I'm not going to say they're going to win – Yet, but they're definitely going to cover. I think it's going to be a close game. I, I'm going to take Mississippi or A&M to win like 28 to 27. I agree with you, and I think the two the two things that allow Mississippi State to keep it close, uh, Leach adjusting just a little bit. Got to think. Got to think at some point he's going to adjust. Mm-hmm. And Mississippi State's defense has been surprisingly good. And I, I yeah. Zach Arnett probably has a Sunday apology from me coming in the near future, especially if they can shut down AM. Mm-hmm. Um, but that the defense has been better, way better than what I thought it was going to be, and has actually kept them in games that they should not have been in. But they despite you know all those turnovers, they've been put in some tough spots yep. and have still been able to to get some some key production there. So uh Georgia, Alabama. I think we have just a couple of thoughts on this. By the way, Bama's a six and a half point favorite. I guess Bama. Yeah, I guess Bama was going to be a five point favorite. That was yep. that was the original guess. You said seven and a half was your guess. So I'm going to count that just as a win for us collectively yep. as a podcast. The over under that I have is Bama's total offensive points. Now that's offensive points because mm-hmm. I think that's that's the key question against this Georgia defense, right? Is right. how much can they can they really put up? The over under that I have is 29. Over. Georgia defense. We just talked him up. Just talked him up said, a lot. I've said all year. How, who can score more than twenty points against them besides Bama, Clemson, Ohio State? Over. Bama has scored thirty-five points in all sixteen games it has played with Steve Sarkeesian as the offensive coordinator. That much we know. And it is as we broke down before. Strength on strength. Yeah. All all the numbers you could say about this Georgia defense, they're all there. It's been ten years. Since Alabama lost to an SEC East team. Saban, as we know, 21-0 against former assistants. A certain Kirby Smart looking to get over that hump. Would love to see what that group text looks like with all of Saban's kids, a.k.a. his disciples. Um, the blackout game. Yeah, why did you talk about that? this? Yeah. I, I, I wanted talk about to, it. Yeah, so real quick, because I think this is interesting context. I wanted to watch it with context of knowing what it started, right? <laughs> That that game in that day and how it really was the birth of Alabama football under Nick Saban. In many yep. ways, as you as you sort of predicted. Yeah, we, we I saw mean, it on camera. So and I told Connor this on the I don't think I ever said it on the podcast, but I remember that night, the night before being in Athens and and all my friends like getting ready to go out and I was drinking and then at the time talking to my dad. So I was I was on the phone with him talking Alabama football and I was like I, I'm telling you tomorrow is when the whole thing changes tomorrow. Because I, I just knew, that's when I said, the first time I had ever said out loud, I said it to him that night, I just know that on Sundays, Mark Rick is a great guy, but he's in church. And I, and I know that, that my coach is is preparing for this game, and, and they are going to be more physical, and the whole thing's going to change tomorrow. And it did. Mark Rick at halftime of that game. Oh, my God. So, for those for those who are wondering what's the difference between Mark, Mark Rick and Kirby Smart, it's something we've talked about before on this podcast. 
But I never saw it more than I did in that halftime interview with Holly Rowe, where his team is down 31 to nothing. By the way, Kirby Smart doesn't agree to do a halftime interview when his team is no, down 31 no nothing. Does. It's it's a beeline to straight to the locker room. That's he also doesn't no get down 31 about. nothing at halftime. So exactly, Mark Richt is yucking it up with Holly Rowe and makes a couple of like playful jokes, not in like a creepy way or anything like yeah. that. But I think to myself, that guy doesn't have that killer switch killer in the way that. Instinct. Yeah, in the way that Kirby does, and I think the way that Saban does, and. To a certain extent, the way that Pruitt does, and that's still yeah. to be to be determined. But there was that moment where I just said to myself, okay, I understand. You're trying to keep a calm face for your defense. You're down 31 nothing, man. You're down 31 to nothing. And if that doesn't rile you ranked, up in a way... Came in ranked number one in the country to start mm, the year. To start the year. And you're watching what just unfolded. You're watching that team take your soul. Yep. And that's the mindset that you have right now. I... I Look, I think Mark Rick, really good football coach, great human being, get all that. But that was when it all sort of clicked to me, and that was one of the reasons why I wanted to rewatch this. And by the way, I also wrote about 2,300 words uh, in a column for, for SDS. Definitely go check that out. Um, but I wanted to rewatch that with some of that context and just kind of understanding this dynamic of Georgia and Bama that was so different 12 years ago where, right. you know, you and it's not just looking at the sideline, which the irony is is just all sorts of, uh, you know, evidence yeah. in a game like this. Scott Cochran makes the funeral comments, and now, of course, now he's on the Georgia sideline. Kirby Smart, of course, being the Bama defensive coordinator, now he's at Georgia. Georgia was the defense who had the chinks in the armor, and now it's Bama. Yeah. And I, I see no way in which Bama repeats the 31 to nothing thing, and it's not just, you know... Like, I get it, Bama's playing in Tuscaloosa. It's different. The atmosphere is going to be different. We're talking about, you know, two different venues, all that. I think this is going to be a game in which we see a certain a certain rise of this Georgia football program in the regular season that we've been waiting to see. Now, before I give my, my prediction on this, because it's, it's, you know, you, you're, you know where I'm heading with this. Yeah, you already, you already said it in preseason. Yeah, but I, I've changed some of my preseason mm-hmm. predictions, at least. The, fa- the fact is that I have lost track of, while I've talked about Bama and Georgia at times, admittedly, is that in 120 minutes of football against Georgia, in which Kirby Smart has been the, the head coach, Bama mm-hmm. has only led for a minute and four seconds. Georgia led for 75 minutes and 49 seconds. Um. I, Tied for 43 minutes and 7 seconds. Did that math add up? No, 76 minutes and 53 seconds that Georgia's left. Whatever. I think this time, Georgia comes back. Bama gets off to this 14 to nothing lead. And we start to wonder, is this the blackout game all over again? Mm-hmm. But then doesn't finish. And Georgia comes back and wins this game. Defensive adjustments. Wins 28 to 27 via a last-second field goal, and Jake Palensky, Palensky, a.k.a. Podrod, he makes the game winner, and a Bama missed extra point comes back to haunt them. That's adorable. Tell me I'm, tell me I'm not crazy. Yeah, that, Connor, you just made the most just, like, generic... Like, you know, you know, like, the Hallmark Channel has those those Christmas movies, and they're all the same, and it's like... They're, they're amazing. They're, they're, they're terrible, and it's always like, Welcome to Christmas they, Town. Oscars. And, 
they have to figure out a way how to save Christmas for like whatever. And it's always some like the same old stupid love story. That's basically what you just did by taking like every single part of, of like the past Bama Georgia games uh, and then Bama missing a field goal. That's great. Um, so here's the deal. I, I have been terrified of this game for quite some time because I, I know that the day is coming when Bama is going to lose to Georgia. And Georgia is going to win a national championship. And, and they are going to be the best team in the SEC and the country. That, and that year might be this year. And I, looking at the defensive numbers, I, I get way more, this is, I don't mean this in a weird way, but like turned on to defensive numbers as opposed to offensive numbers because it's just more impressive to me. Um, That's what you came up with, turned on? I don't know. What was it? Fired up by? That would have been better. Yeah, turned on seemed weird now. Juiced um, up by? Juiced up also seems weird. <laughs> but um, so I, 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 I get, like I'm looking at these numbers yesterday and it just blew my mind. Like, you know, every single category. And I'm like looking up the number and I'm like, all right, where does that rank? And it's just constantly like one, one, one. And I remember those days with Kirby as defensive coordinator, and it was awesome. It was there's a, there's just it's great to score points on people, but there's just some some feeling about they, like a team trying to hand off to their their you know star running back, and and him going for negative one yards over and over like the Leonard Fournette game 2015 over and over mm-hmm. and over again, and you don't see that anymore at Alabama, um, and that that scares me. It, it I think that. I said in the beginning of the year that I think that Georgia is going to beat Bama in the SEC championship game, um, and they're going to get over the hump. Talking about this weekend, it, it, one thing occurred to me today when I was all nervous and, and, and going through these stats, Kirby has he's had a lead against Bama 14 points twice in the fourth quarter against Saban the past two times he's, he's played him. He hasn't faced Steve, uh, Steve Sarkeesian offense, mm-hmm. right? Um, and, and people don't give him enough credit. I've said it like a million times. Agreed. Georgia's defense is really good. And, and, and what finally changed my mind on this, and I can't remember the guy's name, and I hate that I can't remember it right now because I didn't write it down. Somebody said on Twitter yesterday, because I'm like, man, how, how are they going to score on him? And he said, dating back to last year when they played LSU, they only gave up 37 points to LSU. And he was right, but I couldn't get over the fact that he said only 37 only 30, Connor, we were at that game. That game was over in the first quarter. It was, it was a bloodbath. 37, they, they only gave up 37 points. They also only scored 10. And, and I think Georgia's offense is going to have some really good opportunities to, to gash Bama's defense in the run game with, with Zeus. They're going to be able to hit, uh, what's the, his name now? I can't remember his name. Karis Jackson, um, the, the, the freshman. He's, he's I think, is, is a, even more dangerous than Pickens. I, I don't trust Bama's defen- uh, defensive backs against that receiving co- uh, duo. But I'm going to quote Drake here for a second, okay? Oh, boy. Yeah, it's going to get real. There's a quote from Drake um, in Hot Energy. No, no, that song sucks. From Energy, and he says, I hear fairy tales. How about they going to run up on me? We'll run up when you see me, then we going to see. You've been talking about it for years? You've been talking about it since 2007, the last time y'all beat Alabama? You've been talking about it at the beginning of every year? The dynasty's dead. You were the only team favored. The only team favored over Alabama in a decade and lost by 28 points at home. Georgia is going to play for a national championship. This this season, Georgia will play for a national championship. But on Saturday, you got to go to Tuscaloosa. Excuse my language. I'm fired up. You got to go to Tuscaloosa and go for 60 effing minutes against this Alabama team. Not 58, not 57. 
and keep your shit together for that long, not fake a punt, any of those things, and stop this offense, which no one else has been able to do for, for two straight years, for 60 effing minutes. And at the same time, you got to figure out a way to score. And, and, and that is where I think this game is going gonna, is gonna to be different. I don't Stetson Bennett is not going to go into Tuscaloosa and beat a Nick Saban defense. I, can, I could be totally wrong. I, I think he's good enough, and, and he's a good enough game manager to get them to the national championship. Stetson Bennett is not going to go into Tuscaloosa and beat a Nick Saban defense. Alabama will win this game. Georgia will beat them in the SEC championship. And, and that, that's, your, that's your prediction. I think Bama wins. I think Bama puts up over 30 points um, and leaves Tuscaloosa with, with a win that could mean so little at the end of the year. What does Bama cover? Oh, no. No, absolutely not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea why they, th- why they even threw that out there. That's, I mean, I, listen. And, and Georgia fans, I love you all for the most part. And I know this, this, you're tired of hearing about the hump and, and, and you got to get over to beat Saban. But, man, and just realize for either side, because it, it would just be such poetic justice, I think, for, for Georgia fans versus Alabama, if they lose this game, and Bama fans started that same old, like, did you talk about the the uh, the blackout game? That gave Bama fans such a false sense of confidence over Georgia that, that carries on to now. Like, it wasn't a false sense of confidence maybe the years after, but, like, that this Georgia's always going to be overrated. They're always going to be soft, and, 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 and they haven't been able to finish games against Alabama, granted. But, like, that one game, I think, has dictated Bama fans' mindsets about Georgia as a program every time they face them ever since. And it's so and wrong and so stupid. Because that's why like, I wanted to watch it. Yeah. And, and, and listen, that 2015 game where they were favored, that they lost by 28, Grayson effing Lambert was the quarterback. That's why they lost. I mean, he threw, he threw three interceptions. I think he threw I, – I know he threw at least one pick six. Those days are gone. I, I don't see that happening anymore. And, and a majority of those losses were always to Mark Rick team. So – they're going to get over the hump at some point. I have a hard time believing after what I saw last weekend that that it happens this week because of strictly because of Georgia's offense. That defense is good. Shots Shots fired. Stetson Bennett, the fourth Sunday apology, potentially coming, potentially coming. Uh, I forgot to stop Jalen Waddle. Yeah. I'm just not going to have a day at all. Uh, It's going to be tough. I think it's going to be tough for Najee to get going. Najee's looked fantastic. And when he's running that hard, he is very, very fun to watch. Going to be great. Cannot wait for Saturday night, 8 p.m. Eastern kickoff for that one. That's going to be a little bit late. That's going to be a little yeah, bit late. Yeah, really late. But cannot wait for it. All right. Before we close out with a couple more little things, Marler, can you tell us about our friends at my bookie? Oh, man. It's like just peak gambling time right now, Connor. You know that right now, when, when it, we are recording on a Wednesday. Coastal Carolina and Louisville play tonight. Hello. That that means not Louisville, Louisiana. I'm an idiot. Um, yeah, I don't know why you're saying that. That, that means well, they both sound the same. Um, you know, <laughs> Louisville State University, Bengal Tigers. So they they were in the middle of a of 12 game stretch where there's football on every single day, and at the same time, Major League Baseball. The finals just ended. Ask Emory Picker. Yeah, ask Emory Picker what I did for him with these NBA Finals player prop bets. Because my God, on fire. Uh, baseball's been on fire as well, but you can also be on fire. You can get some of Uncle Chris's picks if you want, but regardless if you don't want my picks or not, go to mybookie.ag today. Sign up. If you haven't already, use the promo code SDS. You get double your initial deposit. Double your initial deposit. And as I said last week, start of the week, 8-1. and one. 
mm, the rest of the day was kind of hazy. But regardless, get over to mybookie.ag today. There's a lot of good stuff this weekend. We're about to talk about our locks, our favorite picks. I got some really yep. good notes for you. I got a lock of the week. And by the way, lock of the week is undefeated so far coming from this guy. Liberty minus 19 was free money. Oh, yeah, Beat I took Louisiana the first Monroe. half. Yeah, easy, easy. Beat Louisiana Monroe by 33. Liberty's now a three-and-a-half-point favorite at Syracuse, who just lost quarterback Tommy DeVito. Ooh, uh, as much as I'm a, as much as I'm a Malik Willis believer, that scares me a little bit. Yeah. The unknown of Syracuse's quarterback. I also don't like the line with our guy Sean Elliott. Georgia State plus three and a half against Arkansas State. I know the defense On the road. has been really bad for Arkansas State. Yeah, their coach Blake Anderson is back after recovering from COVID. I'd like a touchdown. That's a little too small for it to be a lock. What I do like, Pitt. Plus 10.5 at Miami. Miami is coming off this draining physical loss to Clemson. Pitt is 3-2, but coming off consecutive one-point losses. We could be having a very different conversation about Pitt right now. Mm -hmm. Not a single game that they have played against Power 5 teams so far, the four games they played against Power 5 teams, all decided by 11 points or less. Pat Narduzzi, when he smells blood in the water, is golden. Narduzzi is good for one a year. One a year you get a how-do-you-like-me-now sort of game. Last year, he took down UCF. 2018, they won at Virginia to win the Coastal. 2017, they handed, guess who, Miami. Number two Miami with Mark Rick. It's first loss of, of the year in the regular season finale. What did Pat Narduzzi do on that day? He called his freaking oh, yeah. shot at <laughs> halftime. I forgot about that. When he, Pat Narduzzi smells blood in the water, the sharks come a-circling. Give me Pitt plus 10.5 at Miami. That's pretty good. I like that. Um, so, again, you only have one, which is fine. Um, I I have, st- that's why I don't make it plural. I stick with lock of the week. There you go. I have more than that, uh, shockingly enough. Here's what I like. And, uh, I mean, again, just pay attention, guys, because I, I said this last week, and almost all of them hit, besides LSU in the first half. That was literally the only one. Um, Arkansas, Mississippi, Ole Miss under. 76 is a lot of points. I mean, a lot of points. So I kind of like that. And I'm not going in order of what I like the most. I'll tell you which ones I like the most. And get it now, too, before you know these yeah. COVID-related absences. Very good well. point. Hop over to my bookie and do Oh, that. yeah. Good point, Connor. A&M, Mississippi State, first half over 27. Two first half offenses that are that are pretty good. A&M, I told you last week, A&M, Florida, like, to take whatever the team total was for each team, both of those hit, and the first half over of 27 and a half. It got up to 29. They still covered it. Um, so I, I like that. Uh what I like more than anything, if, if I have to pick a lock of the week, I, I say this each and every week, and I, and I kind of just throw it out there as like, oh, yeah, and we're obviously going to do this. Clemson first half, Clemson uh, first quarter. And I always tell you Clemson first half. I broke down the numbers on this. They're playing Georgia Tech this weekend in, in mm. Atlanta. Um, nobody gets out of Atlanta alive. Nobody, nobody comes out of Bobby Dodd unscathed. So... In the first half of games this season, or no, I'm sorry, not this season. In the first half of games in, over the last five years against Georgia Tech, Clemson has never been leading by less than 18 points. The line is 14 and Wait a half. A Wait a minute. They've been leading Say by 18 again. points at least. At least 18 okay. points. Okay. Yeah. At, at halftime. At yeah. halftime, right? Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. So okay. they they have been. Listen, like, I mean, Georgia Tech, I think, is a different team now under Jeff Collins, all that kind of stuff. 
But Clemson is really, really good, obviously, and they're really, really good against the ACC. So the first half line is only 14 and a half. That's a bargain, a bargain for, for Clemson anytime, especially against Georgia Tech. Again, past five years, they have been leading at halftime by no less than 18 points every single time. Other times, 23, 23, 21, 28, okay? The other one, first quarter bet. Now, this seems like a little bit of a stretch, right? You only have 15 minutes. Like, something could happen. Like, last week with Bama, it was a six-point favorite in the first half or first quarter. Knocking on the door, and Najee fumbles. I was furious. Clemson is a seven-point first quarter favorite against mm. Georgia Tech. Okay, so I'm going to give you two here and, and, and take literally all three of these before you take anything else. Whatever the team total is for Georgia Tech in the first quarter, take the under. The spread right now is seven uh, for the first quarter in favor of Clemson, obviously. Do you know how many points Clemson has given up in the first quarter of games this season? I'm going to say goose egg. Zero. Do you know how many points Clemson gave up in the first quarter of games last regular season? Fourteen. Three. In 11, in 11 of 12 regular season games last year, Clemson gave up zero points in mm. 11 of 12, which is outrageous. Um, that's Yeah, that's about as good as you can be. The only team to score on them was Wake Forest, who scored three total points. So Clemson minus seven uh, in the first quarter. And the other one I really like, um, the first half under for West Virginia and Kansas is, is 27 and a half. Kansas is awful they're averaging three points per game the, the last like that, that's right dead last in, in fps um so i would take that the under and then and the last but not least navy and ecu okay ecu is god awful on defense i mean just real bad so i said last week the ecu usf game they were the two worst first half defenses in the country they covered it within i think maybe even the first quarter um take the over at 29 navy got up to a slow start but they scored 21 in the first half last week uh, East Carolina is also averaging 17 points per game in the first half. So take the over with that. And you know what? We'll throw in one more. Oh, yeah. Georgia plus three in the first quarter. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I, 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 I think Bama's going to get Ooh. off to a really good start, so I'm not as crazy about that. And one also, more. yeah, one more. Cincy. Uh, two more. Notre Dame. Notre Dame in the first half against Louisville. Take that. I think it's like minus nine and a half. Um, and then Cincy. And I really like this one. Cincy. First half money line at um, at Tulsa. Tulsa. That line is weird. Yeah. I looked at that line and I thought to myself, what does Vegas know about that? I know Tulsa has played teams like UCF closer than yeah. expected, but Cincinnati with what what they have going with Luke Fickle, that's a very that's a one of those lines that I would look at and want to stay very far away from. So yeah. you're bolder than I am. All right, we've got fourth and wrong music edition. Shout out to our guy Jay Woody for throwing all that together. These are questions that we got in our Facebook group, Saturday Down South podcast Facebook group. You should join that if you haven't done so already. Got some good ones. I like this first one from Zach Permenter. He asks, if you had to pick a song or band to describe SEC defense this year, what would it be? I got two. I got two. Free Fallen, Tom Petty. That's pretty good. Yeah. Um... Over My Head by The Fray. Okay. Um, let's see. Can't Stop um, Can't Stop Me Now, because I'm having... Yeah, that's Queen. Um, that's another one. 
Uh, let's see. What else do we got? I'm still, got trying to open, I'm still trying to open the damn Facebook page. Yeah, you know, how to get on the online and hop on. Yeah, on the internet the machine. Because I don't know what is going on right now. What is what is this? Um, let's see. I should have looked at these beforehand because this would have been. That's a really good question. Uh, free falling is really good. Um, definitely can't say won't back down because most defenses have. Um, yes. Let's see. You shook me all night long. Kind of makes sense because oh, yeah. last Saturday night was the worst. Um, what is? All the way up also makes sense because every single every single offense is, uh, or every single defense has given up like I feel like at least thirty to forty points a game. How about uh, "Cater to You" by Destiny's Child? Didn't know what that. I've never heard that one. It's a good one. Look it up. YouTube it. Okay, um, that's a good question. I like that. Which I'll have to think about that more. There's a lot. There's definitely a lot, and especially when well, most SEC defenses have been pretty much putrid this yeah, year. Yeah, that's fair. Very very easy. Um, let's see. What is, this is from Michael Potter. He asked, what is the best slash worst TV channel college football intro song? Ooh. That's great. I mean, SEC on CBS is, come on. When we first, when we first found out that there was the pot, that, that, that the SEC on CBS wasn't going to be continuing when this contract ran out and that it was going to ESPN, everybody's first thought was they better inherit the jingle because if they don't, we ain't coming. That tells you all you need to know about yeah. a college football intro song. That's iconic. I mean, when we do our Just Met More games, and I still hear that, that gives me chills, and I didn't even grow up here, and I don't even have a team. That's how good it is. I will say the old school, like, 90s dun, 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 ESPN intro was pretty awesome. And then you had, like, Ron Gottfried or whatever his name was. That um, was pretty similar to the to the CBS. Yeah, it, was, it was different. Okay, different enough. Yeah, but, yeah, but it was... um. That just a lot of nostalgia. I wish that I'll tell you what, the worst one ever, the worst one ever, uh, is when first off, the Fine Bomb song is effing awful. I, I love Paul. Hater. But it's that song sucks. That Call song Oh Paul. God, it is so bad. Anytime you have to like besides the college game day theme, which is cool because it's like the start of the day and it just makes me happy. Anytime you have to incorporate feel good stuff for all the teams, because it's like you get excited to hear your TV. I don't care. I don't want to hear about Arkansas barking hogs, whatever the hell it is. It's like what? Um, so the worst one ever though is when when uh, Jefferson Pilot in two thousand six borrowed the Brooks and Dunn song uh, "Play Something Country" and changed it to "Let's Play Some Football," and, oh, it, and it was no. sponsored by Huddle House. And so they had like you had you had like Huddle House lyrics that were added somehow. And then also like, oh, let's play some football. It was awful. It was awful. That sounds terrible. It was I, terrible. I think the 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 answer that people would expect us to come up with is big and rich. I mean, coming to your city is the worst. Is all no? I think people would expect us to say that's the worst. But okay. why it's not, and why our perception of it is different, is because the exact reason you said it's the beginning of a full day of football. Yeah. And if we heard that song at 8.30 p.m. at night, we would hate it. And it would be like, all right, let's 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 chill. I, if it was the intro to the, even if it was like the intro to the big, um, like, ABC primetime game, I think we would all kind of be like, eh, no, I'm, I've had enough. Like, my yeah. eyes have kind of like, you know, my eyes are falling out of their sockets at this point watching so much football all day. But I think the fact that it's at the beginning of the day, yeah. that's why we like I, this I will say the rap... Part is awful. That that is. 
blue, 42 down, set. Like, like well, it's, what? It's changed over the years a little bit. They've tweaked it. It's And it's always bad. Check Razor. Like Cowboy Troy. Go out. Gators. It's so, it is a lot. Um, and he, he just comes in so hot. He does a jump. He does a jump on the stage. And then it, it's, it's just. pretty athletic. Is it? He's, yeah. I, for somebody in jeans. Okay, speaking of that, Carter Logan wants to know, between Connor and Chris, who would be big and who would be rich? Uh, is there I so there's no way in hell I would be the guy who cut up I'm not saying you would, but the guy who cut whichever one cut up the Nike socks last year and cut the the logos off, that that is as that. far from me as possible because that was one of the dumbest things I've ever seen. Like I love my Nike socks. I wouldn't do that I either. I mean, politics aside, it's like do you got to put those back on, dude? Like what are you doing? What are you just not, now you don't have socks. Yeah, and now they're all they're gonna be falling down. You're gonna have that weird, <laughs> stupid thing where they fall down under your heel the entire day. Oh, the worst. Yeah, that's terrible. Yeah, no, we like treat that. our socks better. I, I don't think either of us would be big or rich. I don't think we're, I don't think we're at that phase of our lives yet. Uh-uh. Um, <laughs> somebody, somebody said, "What is your favorite song about football?" Boys of Fall. I know Kenny Chesney gets a lot of crap. I know he gets a lot of crap. I'm going to say Boys of Fall depends on where you were in your life when you heard that, right? <laughs> and we were never I think at the same place. We were at the same yeah. place. I realize that. If you were a high school football player and that song came on, or even if you were like kind of early on in college when you weren't sick of Kenny Chesney yet, that song kind of hits a little bit differently. I'll say that. It goes on way too long, and I'm not going to sit here and say that it's the best song ever made. But it's kind of hard to make a song about football that actually kind of gives up like some of that nostalgic feel. And I'd say if there's one that kind of checks some of those boxes, that that one's it. Though it's a very specific genre because, as yeah, we know, it's just you can't say bro country of saying whatever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's 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 a very tough thing to do. Is there is there one that comes to mind for you? Uh, remember the song "Sweet"? I think it was called like "Sweet Southern Comfort." It's like carry on, carry on. Sweet Southern Comfort. It's like Mississippi, Alabama, roll tide, roll. I thought that one was okay. I, I like, so my favorite, and Chris Gordy used to always play this when I would come on his radio show, and I miss it because it was every Friday, and now we don't, he's got his own podcast or whatever. So, um, Song of the South from Alabama. Yeah, that's good. That's um, good. I really like that. that a that's lot. not a football song as much, though. Yeah, it is for me. Um, I mean, like, I don't see. I don't know what a football like. What was the What was the one I played? Uh, I played last year. I, I heard it on Sirius XM, and, and and took a video of it. It was so bad, and it was called, oh, it was called "Drop Kick Me Jesus" through the goal pit posts of life. It was as bad as it sounds. It was awful. Morgan Wallen, big Tennessee fan. You had me by halftime. It's pretty good. Tennessee fans. I know Tennessee fans like that song. Uh, Morgan Wallen, who um, they made were quite the appearance, last uh, made quite the appearance at Alabama a couple weeks ago, yeah. and did not get to do SNL. He as just a had a kid, of that. so that was not a great appearance. Yeah. Um, as a big Morgan Wallen fan, that was that was a rough week. It was a rough week. But uh, I'm sorry for your loss. So Thank you. the the drop kick me Jesus song though, I remember I remember playing that, and I was like, what in the actual f is this? And one of my favorite responses we've ever had in the group, which is saying a lot, somebody responded that that. Um, Steve Spurrier used to play that over the loudspeakers when the opposing team would come in just to like F with them I guess um, so I thought that was really great I like that yeah. I like that um, okay my turn yeah. <laughs> how surprised were you when you found out John Tesh wrote the NBA theme song that song is a banger dude I mean have you ever seen the video of him doing it like he did, he performs that at like 
Like John Tesh does like concerts for like old people that wear turtlenecks and and he will do that song though and it is like lit <laughs> it's like these people like everyone gets excited for it i feel like i've seen that video and it was on a cruise ship or something it, it almost would have to be it, it, yeah. it wasn't on a cruise ship but it had all of the color schemes a cruise ship would have like everything's yeah. like purplish fluorescent that's yeah mm -hmm. it's perfect um let's see here what song do you think Best describes from Austin Foster. Best describes the anger Arkansas fans are still feeling towards SEC officiating. Ooh. Um, let's see. Uh, how about some Limp Biscuit did it all for the Nookie? That, SEC officials. Not, well, that, what? SEC officials did it all because they were paid off by Auburn, as I we know. I think you know what that song's about. But oh, okay. I would have said do break not... stuff from Limp Biscuit. That would have been. Oh, yeah, yeah that's better. Not a that's song way about better. Nookie. Oh. <laughs> I, that's like what you you know like when you rub someone's head, right? That's the same thing. Not even close, but yes, go ahead. Oh, okay, all right. Um, break stuff is good. Um, Three days grace. I hate everything about you. I think there's some R and B songs in there, probably some sadness. Like, Ooh, hey, tell. at this stage, maybe initially when it happened. But if you're asking how they should still feel about SEC officiating, like, like there's there's definitely some boys to men. Like, how could you leave me? Oh, um, man. Yeah. Um, What's your favorite sad R&B song? Oh. Why are all these songs football related? I don't have a ton of sad R&B songs that are oh, in the repertoire, God, I'm going to be honest. I would say, um, how about Usher, You Remind Me of a Girl? That one's good. That's a good uh, throwback one. That's not sad. That's a good song. He has a song yeah, literally yeah, about yeah, having a sad. kid with another woman that yeah, ruined yeah, his relationship. That one's, that's the sad one. Yeah, um, That sounds good. So, I saw, somebody also made a video of that, like like the reaction to that. It was like, are you kidding me right now? It was hilarious. <laughs> um, mine, Brian McKnight, anytime. God, that was such a staple on Chris's yeah. Drunk Sad Spotify 2013 and 2016. That that was, that song is awesome, though. Yeah, that it's is a great banger. song. Um, Remember that? Yeah, he, he was fantastic. Let's see here. Best workout song, and why is it anything from the Hamilton soundtrack? I, I do not like wow. the Hamilton soundtrack. Not a fan? I, I just wasn't a fan of Hamilton because it's like... I, you watched it in one sitting. You can't watch it in one sitting. It, Connor, I did not watch it in one sitting. It was two hours and 40 minutes long. With my attention span, there was no way that was going to happen. That's why you got to split it up into like 20 minutes. Like, oh, Jesus Christ. It was so long. <laughs> uh, best workout soundtrack is Rocky IV soundtrack. That's actually fair. Yeah. That's a really good. good. Pretty good. Like Cash Daniel was bumping that the other day. Yeah. Good yeah. guy. Um, definitely, definitely Rocky Four. If you've never listened to that soundtrack, I, I'm sorry, you need to get on that right now. Yeah, that's that's an all time, all time group of bangers. No yeah. easy way out. That's fair. I like. Um, I'm a big fan. I mean, Thunderstruck's fine because they play it at Bama games or whatever. All time. Um, yeah, that's I mean, it's kind of an all time one. I, I mean, I, I'll just I'll be very partial to uh, rap usually. I still like stuff from like that's a little bit. Like Cool Mo D, you listen to Cool Mo D. I go to work. Can't say like, do. Go listen to Cool Mo D. I go to work. That that song is that'll get you hyped every single time. Um, what's up? Like I used to re like in college, I was really big into NWA because I did my senior thesis on how they influenced Middle America. Super um, Yeah. Then then the movie came out, so everyone thought it was cool. Um, but like, so everything from them except for Express Yourself, I didn't like that because that was weird because Ice Cube had that line where he said, Ice Cube is not for the pop charts. And I think Are We There Yet had just come out. And I was like, I can't trust you. I can trust that. Yeah, that's fair. Um, just trying to get the money. That's, I mean, that's, that's probably where I would go. I, I just always play like rap, whatever it is. 
Like I, okay. I can't I can't do like hard rock anymore. Like a, ACDC is is always going to be a crowd pleaser with that. Yeah, I, I mean, if I'm going to listen, Back in to Black it, is still uh, really good. I hate that song because it's it's what? it's been it's like Start Me Up, which is not a good song either. But like sports stadiums and arenas have have ruined it. They play it all the time. Back in Black. Yeah, that's true. Dun, 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 I get it. There's like a thousand other. I'll tell you what's really good ACDC. If you want some like good like rock for like especially like specifically from ACDC, go get their second album. Um, it's not High Voltage. It's the other one. It, it is uh, Let There Be Rock. It's one of the best front-to-back albums I've ever listened to. And if I'm going to listen to uh, like rocks, rock music when I'm working out, it's Taking Back Sunday. Mm. Get the feelings up. ACDC just came out with a new album. That they were, it was all over the place on, on ESPN Airwaves. Or, or was it ESPN? It was Fox. I think it was Fox. Fox had like a big deal with them. I'm watching Thursday Night Football, and they keep talking about ACDC. Yeah. I'm like, what, what year is this? <laughs> What's going on right now? All right. Thank you for everybody who submitted questions in our Facebook group. Thank you to everybody who has given us a five-star review. We're definitely going to have to read some five-star reviews Yeah, let's do it now. We have, we have, you want to do it now? Yeah, let's do like a couple. Also, sure. I need to start looking over these questions before we actually get them. Yeah, because then you can come up with great yeah. SEC defense songs like The Fray. Which yeah, is that's just, fine. Over my head. Yeah, Frey was yeah. a really good band, man. They, they they were like they were really underrated, in my opinion. They did a national anthem not that long ago oh at God. a big time sporting event. I was like, oh, that's the Frey. They're alive. Good for them. I feel like that's never. Remember, like back in the day, and this still goes in line with like all the topics we had. Like remember, like we talked about the Whitney Houston national anthem is the best ever, yeah. and it's not close. The the MJ actually he didn't do the national anthem, but like back in the day, I feel like there were like big names would do the national anthem. And now, anytime I see someone do the national anthem, it's usually somebody that like, like Jason Mraz did one for like the Meineke Car Care Bowl, and I was like, oh god, it was like barefoot or something. Yeah, probably. <laughs> hey guys, put some shoes on, man. I had a couple of words. They're all about love. Um, yeah, so so I feel like that's changed for whatever reason. Um, it's it's not the same as it used to be. There you go. All right, so let's start with um, we have one. Yeah, September. Let's start with September twenty second. So this is from California Cajun, Chris's rants and the hole in his logic. Okay, he's an A and M fan. Uh, yeah, been uh, been listening for at least two years now, and this is one of my favorite podcasts every week, in season or not. The interplay between Connor and Marler is spectacular, and it's especially fun to hear Connor egg Chris on as he gets all twisted up in one of his rants. But be careful not to pain yourself. In a corner, though, Chris, today, this is September 22nd, you argued vehemently that the expectations for Texas A&M last year were unrealistic and just way too high. To paraphrase, no team facing that schedule, Bama, UGA, LSU, and Clemson, could have that much success. To think otherwise was just dumb. Well, let's think about that for a second. One team did face that same schedule and throw in Florida and Oklahoma for good measure and proceeded to whip up on all of them to hang 50 on the Aggies and to win the whole Dang thing, I think is what they meant. And I seem to remember the preseason expectations for that team being lower than those for a and I'll agree to disagree with that. Yeah. Nevertheless, I laugh out loud at you two, and you make my day, if not my week. Keep it coming and keep the Texas Pete flowing. Go Tigers! That's pretty good. He's not an a fan. He's an LSU fan. Um, yes, that I understood. Let me see here. Let's get a good one here. Uh, this is relatable. This is the most recent one, I think. Um, so my computer's freezing as we're doing this. I don't know what's going on. Okay, I'll go ahead. Yeah, That's go fine. Ahead. <laughs> this one from Alex B- Alex LB84. Subject: Best podcast. 
working from home and not commuting anymore, my podcast listening has gone to almost zero, but this is the one podcast I make time for. I'd listen to these guys talk about anything. Roll Tide. Thank you, Alex yeah. LB. That's very nice. I'll do it, very too. Nice. Just, I mean, just yeah. say the word. I'll talk about a whole bunch of stuff. That's um, We basically just did for 20 minutes. That's so. true. Uh, hey Good 24 says, these two guys are the best. They work so well with each other. If you want to actually laugh out loud and learn something, this podcast is for you. It's the return of the Mac podcast. They shoot yes. you straight, bringing up good and bad about your team, but always bring it back, back it up with facts. Goaded. Love it. This one from uh, LSU. I think it's supposed to be LSU Freak. They shortened the Freak. That's like an old oh, yeah, I remember. screen name I thing scared, that you do yeah. back in the day. Yeah. Uh, best podcast, not even debatable. Question, what kind of podcast is best? False. SDS podcast fact. SDS knows SEC. SDS, SEC. Spaceballs. I think that was an office reference, and I like it. Yeah, I like that a lot. Um, all right, and the last one is from Jay Mahaffey. Uh, and it says the following. Uh, is this update? Here we go. Uh, the first SCS episode I listened to was SEC teams as the office characters, a true gem, and I've been hooked ever since. I used to primarily consumed Homer-based football coverage, but Connor and Chris do an excellent job of providing a fair and balanced analysis on the entire conference that gives more realistic insight on your own team as well as a better understanding of the conference as a whole. All the while, the banter and humor keep the conversation entertaining. Keep up the great work, guys. And if you're looking for your go-to SEC podcast, you found it. See, I like that one because anytime somebody says, like, I feel like when we get, like, a negative review or people get mad, in general with sports, it's usually because you're just mad that we said something bad about your team. This is true. Let's end with this one. This is from Jay Medlin. I like podcast day. All right. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is really good. This is fantastic. I found this podcast in the middle of quarantine and have loved every episode. Chris and Connor bring objective analysis while also conveying the passion of SEC football fans. I can't wait every week for the newest episodes. In the words of the immortal Stanley Hudson, I wake up in a bed that's too small, drive my daughter to a school that's too expensive, and then go to work to a job which I get paid too little. But on podcast day, well, I like podcast day. P.S. I don't have a daughter or a job, but the podcast is still awesome. Yeah, that, that was good. That might be one awesome. of the best ones we ever had. That was awesome. <laughs> good work. We appreciate it, guys. Yeah, send some of those in. Um, you know what? Send some in in case I need consoling after this weekend. I'll yes, just in case. Just in case. Maybe the next time that we're talking, Sunday apologies you, could be coming to Georgia fans, maybe, potentially. We'll sure. see. You know, I mean, well, we'll no, because I've been banging the drum for them all offseason. True. I, this is true. I will say our highest rated episodes we've ever had consistently are when Bama loses. Yes, that is pretty much a guarantee. Pretty much a guarantee. So, if you are not yet subscribed to all forms of SDS on social media, follow us on Twitter at SDS, at SEC Football, at the SDS Pod, at Vern Funquist, at CJ O'Gara. Follow us on Facebook, Saturday Down South Podcast. Facebook group, Saturday Down South. On Facebook, follow us on Instagram, Saturday Down South. And you know what? Just make sure that you're reading all of our content. Subscribe yeah. to our newsletter, Saturday.Football. Marler, we still have football this weekend. That's the good news. Yeah, and we're still going to get football. Yeah, and that's question, positive vibes only. What do we need to remember? Roll Tide. Talk soon.